kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and we're back. Welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. So this week I learned some things. Uh, I'm never going to dinner with John Podesta. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> I'm never going to learn the recipes in the Spirit Cooking Cookbook. And Jesus, these people are degenerates. <laughs> wow. Uh, just Wow. <laughs> yeah these people are are wow they are interesting so yeah uh <laughs> the the people who uh make kings ladies and gentlemen holy crap <laughs> okay uh i'm not even sure where to begin uh well uh i guess we'll start with um Tonight with me is the lovely and talented Miss Margot Gardner. How are you tonight, Miss Margot? Well, I'm not dead yet, but talk to me tomorrow. <laughs> I'm I'm so ready for this shit to be over. Oh and, fuck. I know. <laughs> and yeah. and the best producer money can't buy, which is good because after four years I'm still not paying him. Barry, how are you tonight, Barry? I'm good. You're good. Well, you're you're not going through an election, so of course you're good. Oh no, um, but we've been getting the the warnings that oh no, there might snow tomorrow. <gasps> oh, for God's It's sake. almost as if it's winter or something. I mean, jeez. <laughs> How will you ever live? Uh, I don't especially know. The, especially there in the Scottish Highlands. How will you ever live? 
Well, I'm not in the Highlands anymore. Well, I'm yeah, in Central I'm at the minute. Okay. Which, well, which is about ten degrees warmer, so oh, it's well, fine. Well, still's going to so, snow here probably, but it's it's so, almost as if it's you know it's the time of year or something. I mean, yeah, I was, I was saying I to know. somebody earlier last winter I put the heater on in in my room three days. <laughs> That's how mild it was last winter. Oh, God. We had the air conditioning on pretty much all winter last year, except for three or four days. Yeah. I know. Everybody feels terrible for me. <laughs> but nobody nobody feels bad for me during hurricane season, which I think is hilarious, which is, is the one time you should feel bad for me. Um, I always feel sorry for you during hurricane season. Well, you feel bad for me every time you see me post something from Florida, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to live in Florida. No. <laughs> oh, and to answer Thomas, no, I don't miss... You see, I, I'm not really missing their election drama and fun. Uh, I, I have all the Brexit drama and fun, so, yeah. Drama and fun. Yeah, please explain to me how three old men get to disregard uh, democracy and the rule of law. Because they always do. Oh, I know they always do, but I did like it. And I'm not too fond of your prime minister, but she said, nope, we'll be going forth with this. I don't care what the court says. The people have spoken. I'm like, really? Did well, she she's also said she respects that? the law, but the three judges are wrong. So, yeah. Well, and on I this mean, occasion. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, she, people... she definitely made sure she couldn't be sued because, you know, <laughs> when you when you talk about judges, it's usually a good idea. To not just blurt out the first thing that comes into your head. Um, <laughs> oh, so what you're saying is that uh, basically Donald Trump would be screwed over there. Oh, yeah. Um, we, so we have had really... politicians, you know. See, over here you get to wind up on a hit list, though. So take your pick. Um, yeah. Politics is perfect nowhere. Um we, we don't well, have hit will... lists over here. You just disappear quietly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I think they you all disappear. So disappear. You can't keep it quiet. <laughs> well, I think they disappear here, and I think they end up in that building that looks like Tony Stark's um, arc reactor in his chest. I think that's where they go. It's just so big, and you just don't see them anymore. That, that's got possibilities, yeah. <laughs> She's talking about GCHQ, Margaret. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it does. It looks like Tony Stark's arc reactor. If you uh -huh. look at it, if from you scaled it up yeah, massively, exactly. yeah, yeah. It, I just it's think it's only a small office. It's only got like six thousand workers in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nowhere to get nowhere to get lost in there. I'm sure every one mm. of who's disappeared ends up in a little broom closet in there somewhere. Um. <laughs> I am kind of kidding. So, um, Jeannie is allegedly supposed to be along at some point. So, uh, we'll introduce her when she comes along. And, hey, next week we can welcome back Alex to the show for a Casa update. It's been Yay. two months. Yeah. Um, Margo, pick one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> they're they're let's also start good. With some, let's start with something wide. Um, okay. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> you have no idea. There's how, like 60... how about feds ignore watchdogs? Okay, 
Feds I ignore. love seeing our tax dollars spent so well. <laughs> Feds ignore watchdogs 15,222 times. Federal officials have failed to implement thousands of recommendations made by government watchdogs and wasted $87 billion in the process, according to a new congressional report. 72 inspectors general, the independent watchdogs tasked with monitoring the executive branch, have made 15,222 recommendations that have not been implemented by the agencies they oversee over the last 15 years, according to a report from the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Senate Homeland Security Committee and Government Affairs Committee. Jesus Christ, that's one big committee. As a result, those agencies have failed to save $87 billion targeted by the watchdogs. There's no repeat that number. As a result, those agencies have failed to save eighty-seven billion dollars targeted by the watchdogs. Billion with a B. Mm -hmm. Go Go ahead. There is there is no excuse for this kind of waste. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, who co-authored the report, said Monday. My colleagues on the Appropriations Committee should cut the funding allocated to these agencies by the amount of the waste given that the agencies could function effectively at a lower funding level by simply implementing the Inspector General recommendations. The report reflects over a year of investigating how agencies ignore or fight the Inspectors General. Eight watchdogs complained to the lawmakers about trouble accessing records from the executive branch. As reported by the IGs, agencies' obstruction tactics range from months-long drawn-out delays to blatant refusals to provide certain categories of documents, the report said. Uh, the federal government was partially unwilling to release documents pertaining to the bank and auto industry bailouts. In the case of the Special Inspector General for Troubled Asset Relief Fund, TARP, SIG, SIGATARP, the SIGATARP had to resort to subpoenas and threats of subpoenas to obtain information about the use of the Federal Troubled Asset Relief Fund, the investigators learned. Wisconsin Republican Ron Johnson, who chairs the Homeland Security and Government Reform Committee, has proposed a suite of bills to increase the authority of the IGs. Our investigation highlights the numerous obstacles that many inspector generals have faced in trying to root out waste, fraud, and abuse, Johnson said. I will continue to hold the federal agencies accountable to implement common sense recommendations to save taxpayer dollars and will fight to pass our legislation that is critical to strengthening inspectors general. Well, why would you want to listen to somebody who told you what you were doing was wrong and not to do what you were doing? I guess when you're in government, the rules don't apply to you. Thoughts? Hi, Miss Jenny. Hi, Miss Jan. (laughs) Uh, Anybody have any thoughts about the government ignoring this stuff? Because I uh, I don't. As as, as the viewers, you know, won't know, uh, I have now installed a special button. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I think it's timely. (laughs) I think it works. Eighty-seven billion dollars. Yeah. Yep. Pissed out the window. Yeah, and and they probably don't think that's a big amount of wastage. That's the scary bit. It's not. Give it to me. No, you can't be trusted with that kind of money. But the government, who's responsible and cares about us all, they totally can be responsible for that amount of money. Just not you. I, I can't believe you can just lie like that, Jean. What, Miss Jeannie? I can't believe you can just sit there and lie like that. 
you know what? I work in a place where I'm told to smile at people that piss me off and tell them that it was a pleasure to serve them when I really want to just punch them in the face for being an asshole to me. Um, so I've learned political speak really well. Really yeah, yeah, well. yeah. This is why I don't work in customer service anymore. If there were anything else, believe me, I'd be doing it. There would have been deaths eventually. The best job I ever had was when I was like a veterinary technician. That was the best job I ever had. I didn't make shit for money, but I went home every day fucking happy. Always saved some animal's life, you know. Um, always did some good. It made me feel really good about myself. If this, it, 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 this political season, um, I've become proficient at the Slinky song. <laughs> Sing it for us, Jenny. Yeah. Do you know how that goes? Slinky, slinky, it's fun, well, it's a wonderful see, toy. Yeah, but the thing is, Jan, some people, some people are exactly like a slinky. They're absolutely good for nothing, but they still bring a smile to your face when you push them down a flight of stairs. <laughs> I just want to, some people, I just want to buy them a nice toaster for their bathtub. Oh, and Not yeah. a nice one, a cheap one. Well, yeah, even a cheap one. And uh, for for the people who, yeah, don't follow stuff I post on Facebook and the like, yeah, the U the UK the UK, some of the councils uh, made a comment on on the American election, uh, on Bonfire Night, Guy Fox Night. I've put the link in chat. Um, to give people a background, the councils in question every year the effigy is different. This year they went with what they went with. Go look at the pictures; they're good. Uh, last <laughs> year they had um, our prime, prime minister, minister of the time with various pig poses uh, being burned. Um, it it's a tradition. They used to burn an effigy of Guy Fox. Uh, um, did you did you see the pictures from the parade in Germany? No. 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 I'll, I'll have to go find them and stick them in chat because, yeah, basically we're the laughing stock of the fucking world with this election. You call yeah. it an election. I, I call it... Okay. Um, was it Eisenhower or Roosevelt who said presidents are not elected, they're selected? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, to, t I to tell you how it's that. going, there is a new story that came up today on the BBC News website, under the US election news, Trump team tries to ease global concerns in, in case he gets elected. And another one that popped up was, yes, yeah, advisors have taken Twitter away from him. Uh, they they had to last <laughs> night. He was getting into it with Jon Stewart. Yeah. They, they took his phone from him. Uh, you know... <laughs> There's not Did a lot put him of... in the corner on my map. <laughs> you know what? I, I I can't say much for Pence, but I don't see him doing stupid shit like that. I really can't say much for Hitler, except you know, die. Well, just die. Last uh, last I, week, I... there's a weekly sort of political satire show, sort of, on uh -huh. Channel Four, one of the public broadcasters over here, because. Right. BBC isn't the only one. Channel 4 is... Channel 
Or does it make you get a well. license to watch them? But it's called <laughs> The Last Leg, and they had um, Jeremy Paxman on. I'm sure you know who that is, John. Mm-hmm. So they asked him about the candidates, and it's like basically it comes down to Hillary's d- a dull career politician. You know, she fucks up and covers up and blah blah, blah. and Trump's insane. <laughs> That's his opinion. Well, yeah, and he spent his whole the... life talking to these sort of people. So yeah. right, but, but being here's, nice. Here's here's yeah, the that was thing. him being polite. Yeah. Here's here is the thing. I, I don't like him. I don't like his vice president. I don't like her. I don't like her vice president. Gary Johnson, if he ever got in, it scares me if he got assassinated because then we'd be stuck with that asshole. Mr. I'm here to stick up for Hillary Clinton. That just tanked any chance the the Libertarian Party ever really had. Um, so my pick is Vermin Supreme. Um, I still say I, Cthulhu I, 2016. Oh, yeah. Giant meteor. End it all. Um, Oh, yes. Those parade floats are good. This is as bad as it's ever been. Uh, Even if this is a total farce and reading the WikiLeaks emails, um, I tend to get the feeling that it's a total farce um, simply because I started looking at dates when things occurred. And I started putting things together and I said, okay, well, these sort of emails shouldn't be being sent to any presidential candidate before an election. And they're being sent. Okay. That's fucking weird and totally unusual and wrong. So it's made me question the whole electoral process. It, it, I don't know. I'm just very, very skeptical of the whole shooting match at this point. So uh, Vermin Supreme. Pony-powered economy. Brush your teeth. He's a friendly fascist. I can live with that. He makes more sense to me than most of the candidates they have running. And in fact, he makes more sense than Jill Stein on a lot of issues. And I like Jill Stein. I like that she has guts and she stands up and she says stuff, you know, about the corruption on both sides of the party. And actually tells you that Hillary Clinton is is more dangerous in a lot of ways than Donald Trump, at least when it comes to war. And she's absolutely right. Um, but I still think she's off her fucking rocker, too. So, yeah, Vermin Supreme 2016. Uh, I, I don't see this as being any different than it is any other year, with the exception that we have gone to the bottom of the barrel of both extremes at the same time. Well, Um, here's here's the thing. Everybody hates these people. How do you vote for people you hate? I mean, vote third party. It's more frightening. Are you saying that they couldn't fucking find someone with a vagina better than her to run for office? And the GOP couldn't find someone better than Dump? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's like, that was one of Jeremy Paxman's points. He's like the giant population in the US, and that was the best they managed. Yeah, <laughs> you've got look at the look though at the people that are drawn to politics. Have you ever known anybody? I've there, there are three honest men in Congress. Three, I can count them on one hand, on three fingers on one hand. Three. Uh, Maybe four if you add Tom Coburn to the mix. Um, are you sure maybe. they're honest or that they just haven't been caught doing anything yet? 
Uh, they yeah. reject anything that's unconstitutional. They read it and go, no, they stand up and say, no, this is unconstitutional. We shouldn't be voting on this. We, we shouldn't even be discussing this. This is not our realm. And then they get shouted down and they get to sit down and, you know, they have their moral victory, but nothing happens. And there's only three or four of them that do it. The rest of them just go along with the, you know, herd mentality. You know, March of the Pigs, as it were. Yeah, busy troughing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, when you look at the personalities of the people attracted to politics, are you really surprised? Are you really surprised that this is what you ended up with? Honest people don't want any part of it. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. Honest people want nothing to do with politics. So this is what you end up with. Yep. You know, burn it down. Burn it down. Um, so, yeah. Just a thought. Uh, Jeannie, pick a story. Uh, what one did I miss? Uh, the only one was the feds ignore watchdogs. Oh, yeah. The only, the only nice, nice one. <laughs> there are other nice ones. Um, I, I want to do the one about food, of course, about the okay. potluck. Okay. Uh, okay. Single mom faces jail time for participating in Facebook food group. Okay. Stockton. A Stockton woman faces an impending trial and potential jail time after she joined a social media community food group and sold some of her meals she cooked, which County San Joaquin County, which, you know, okay, which San Joaquin County officials say is against the law. These people need a fucking editor. Uh, Marisa Ruelas was cited by San Joaquin County for selling an illegal substance, but it wasn't a powder, a pill, or a plant. It was a bowl of her homemade cerveza. I think that's right. It was... Ceviche. Ceviche? Okay. Yep, ceviche. It's, it's fish that's cooked with citrus acid. Hmm. It was just unreal that they were saying you could face up to a year in jail, said Rollis. A few years ago, Rollis joined a Facebook group called 209 Food Spot, a forum, she says, where people from the Stockton area shared recipes, organized potlucks, and occasionally sold what they cooked. Someone would be like, oh, I don't have anything to trade you, but would love to buy a plate, like they'd be off of work. On December 3rd of last year, someone contacted Rollis, asking her for a plate of her ceviche, one of her signature dishes. That person was an undercover investigator from San Joaquin County, according to court documents, on a sting because the majority of 209 food spot members didn't have permits to sell their food. She, along with about a dozen of others, was cited for two misdemeanors for operating a food facility and engaging in business without a permit. Ruelas refused to plea down to three years of probation. Now the single mother of six is headed to trial and could end up in jail. I don't write the laws, I enforce them, and the legislature has felt that this is a crime, said San Joaquin County Deputy <clears throat> District Attorney Kelly McDaniel. She says selling any food not subject to health department inspection puts whoever eats it in real danger, not to mention it undercuts business owners who do get permits to make their food. She says the 209 Food Spot Facebook group was sent a warning before charges were handed down. Food prepared in a facility that does not inspect it creates a risk to the public, said McDaniel. When they talk about potential jail time for this, what goes through your mind? Asked the reporter. 
my kids, responded Rollis. Without a father in their life, Rollis says, the thought of having to leave her kids scares her. Every court appearance takes a toll on her youngest son, six-year-old, Justice. <laughs> There's some irony there. The night before, he always asks, like, are you going to come back, says Rollis? Of the people charged, Rollis is the only one whose case is headed to trial because she was the only person charged who refused to accept a plea from the district attorney. Love that, Mary. So, that is... Well, yeah, I mean, that that was going to happen. Uh... Because the same yeah. shit happens over here as well. Just mm-hmm. when you, as soon as you sell it, you've got to have a license. Yeah. You've got to have food hygiene certificates, all that stuff. I mean, oh. if she'd given it away, no problem. But it's cost yeah, you and here's it. here's the really stupid part here, though, Barry. You can have a vegetable stand all day long. Yeah. You don't even you don't even have to report that shit as long as it's under ten thousand dollars. You can sell all the vegetables you want. Just don't now, cook, cook them. Cook them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cook that shit and you're fucked. So if she had sold the raw ingredients with a recipe like Blue Apron, would that still have happened to her, do you think? Well, no, and here's the thing not, is not. ceviche isn't actually cooked. So I, I guess maybe it's because it's prepared is the okay. problem. Because, you know... Ceviche is never exposed to heat. It's the fish is cooked, let's just per se, with acidic like lemon juice. With lemon juice. Yeah, that's that's the fucked up part here. Yeah, I mean it it depends on how the law is worded, but yeah, prepared food basically. But if you sell the raw ingredients, you're fine. That's- yeah, it's the way hygiene works in most places, though. Food hygiene. I know I've got. But food you know hygiene. what's spooky is it was probably cleaner coming from her kitchen than half of the places that actually are <laughs> licensed to sell food. Well, yeah, I mean, we, even we got it in the news last week. There's another chain of Mexican restaurants, Norovirus. Mm. God, Norovirus. That's like one of the worst. That, that it was over your way, not our way, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, I'm know. just saying neuroviruses. Is, oh, yeah, winter vomiting is, virus. Yeah, yes. that is that is so hard to get rid mm. of. I mean, they Yeah, well, it's, it's only 98% infectious. Yeah, I mean, and they have to <laughs> practically nuke wherever they find it. Yeah, they have to use stuff called cryocide to kill it. Yeah. Which not kills just every- about every life form known to exist. Uh, yeah, you really don't want to get near any of that stuff. Do they use it in gaseous form, Barry? Uh, you can do. You can use it as a, as a surface cleaner, or you okay. can use it in a vapor. And the okay, vapor, so yeah, if you breathe it in, it'll collapse your lungs. Uh, okay, so there was a book called The Hot Zone I read a few years ago, and it talks about the Reston monkey virus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Ebola Rustin? Yeah. Vaguely aware, yes. Okay. So uh, there was a form of uh, Ebola that was in the monkeys at the Rustin, you know, animal testing facility. Um, And some people got actually infected with 
that. They had heart heart symptoms that they've never had heart symptoms before. And a whole bunch of things that are just really unique to Ebola um, that don't generally happen to normal people. And so there was a fight between the county health board and nobody wanted to shut this facility down. Like they just didn't want to do it. Um, and they eventually turned it over to USAMRIT to come in and euthanize all the monkeys, shut this place down. Um, and that was a harrowing read, but, uh, they used cryocide on everything in there. And when you use cryocide, right, they used it in a gaseous form. Um, you leave, but you turn on these sunbeam electric griddles and you put this tablet on them. And it's a tablet of the most virulent spores on the planet that you, you can't you can't kill them. But cryocide kills those. So that's how they guess they know if cryocide's gotten everything. If the spores that are alive on that electric riddle are dead, they assume that the cryocide has killed everything in the facility. So that, that's just some, that's some, some fucked up shit. Yeah, I've, I've handled cryocide. The, 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 the MSDS sheets for cryocide. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, if you it, basically if you like living, you don't want to fuck with cryocide. If you get a drop in your eye, it'll weld your eyelid to your eyeball. It's that corrosive. It'll eat mm -hmm. your skin. It collapses your lungs. Uh, it will absorb through your skin and bugger up your internal organs. Uh, yeah. Really, I got a couple of people. Maybe we can send packages to. I think they're running for <laughs> office this year. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it. Yeah, it's, it's not, difficult it's not to, so easy to get. transport. <laughs> it's not so easy to get. Put it this way. You could go online right now and you could buy any virus you want. I could. You could. Any of us could. Without any sort of background check or anything, all you have to do is check, yes, I'm a lab. <laughs> and they will send you anything anywhere in the world. And you can get some virulent shit and you could have it sent to those people. Don't a lot easier, you. a lot easier than you can get cryocide. Well, no cryocide, you can buy it, but it tends to only be the the pure cryocide's only really sold to companies. So, mm -hmm. as long as you're a registered company, you can buy it. Because yeah, I've handled the the one molar liquid form, which we used yeah. to use in fogging machines, yeah. and it it was against norovirus, funnily enough, because it was hotels. If you had one person who had suspected norovirus, you sprayed the room off to the left, <laughs> just to yeah. make sure. Yeah, just to make sure, exactly. And you, so, leave, yeah. you leave it in there for 20 minutes, uh, don't let anybody else in the room, then go back and retrieve the machine. And it will have killed everything, single cell and above. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it is quite the thing. Yeah, well, it, um, it, it works on multiple levels. It's not just, uh, it's corrosive, it's hydrophilic, and antibacterial. So any way the cell has, a cell has to survive, it takes it away. It takes it away. It takes yeah. the water away, it burns, <laughs> and yeah. it, you know, disrupts cell function. So yeah, yeah. not good stuff. 
It's been okay. around for about 30 years, that stuff. Yeah. It, they it, developed it, it funnily enough, in military weapons labs to deal with anything that might escape. Um, <laughs> and now it's in... Now it's in most um, in weakened form. It's in crap loads of the cleaning products that restaurants and hotels use. Yeah. Multi-surface cleaners. Because it's really oh. efficient, even at very weak concentration. Mm-hmm. I'm picking the next story. <clears throat> can, can you can you all see where I am? Washington Post columnist, if this democracy is going to stay healthy, we need to start trusting the FBI more. That's fucking hysterical. From the buy-in to the system people department. Trust and respect aren't things someone or something holds in an infinite, uninterrupted supply. They're gained and lost due to the actions of the entity holding this extremely liquid supply of trust. Oddly, some people, like Washington Post's Chris Kazilia, seem to believe trust and respect should be given to certain, quote, venerated institutions because to do otherwise is to surrender to something approaching nihilism. Saliza starts out with an obvious conclusion. The FBI has long been an iconic institution in American life. After last week's announcement by FBI Director James Comey that the investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email server continues, it's hard to see it staying that way. The problem is more Comey's than the FBI's as a whole, but neither have done much over their histories to raise their levels of trust and respect. Cezilla notes that several other venerated institutions, from the Supreme Court to the presidency to public schools, have all seen steady declines in public trust, according to polls. I can't fucking imagine why. Shocker. This is to be expected. Trust is easy to lose, but much harder to earn. Our government institutions have done very little to maintain the level of trust and plenty to squander it. If that had been the end of it, an examination of continually diminishing trust levels, it would have been fine. But Cezilla somehow feels that failing to hand over trust and respect to these that these institutions haven't earned or haven't protected is damaging to the fabric of society and democracy itself. Nothing has cropped up to replace these fallen idols. The foundational pieces of society, the things we always knew we could rely on, are no longer foundational. But with nothing to replace them, we are left rootless, casting about for a new set of institutions on which we can rely. That casting around causes fear and anxiety, and sometimes even anger. None of these emotions are conductive to a functioning, healthy democracy. This is far more conductive to a functioning democracy than Cezilla thinks. This democracy, although actually a constitutional republic, but pedentary, rose from the ashes of venerated foundational pieces of society. The system was burned to the ground and rebuilt to better serve the constituents rather than those governing them. What's not conducive to a functioning, healthy democracy are government institutions continually and casually destroying the trust they once had. Venerated institutions shouldn't always remain venerated. They should be questioned aggressively and held accountable for their actions. Seriously, there's a long list of, quote, venerated institutions, once present in this, quote, healthy functioning democracy, that almost no one agrees should be granted the respect they once were, like slavery, or voting being limited to white males, 
or aggressive land grabs that displaced the native population when we weren't actually straight up killing them? Or how about the draft? It was once respected as well, but back-to-back failures in wars fought against more ideals than enemies turned it to a sick joke that further proved the notion that a supposed nation of equals was just more of the same old multi-tiered favoritism. If the FBI doesn't have our trust anymore, it's because they threw it all away. Decades of shady, if not downright abusive behavior preceded Comrie's lone gunslinger approach to heading the agency's unofficial political warfare operations. The decline in veneration for other institutions roughly tracks the increase in transparency and accountability. Freedom of information laws, citizens with cell phones, a worldwide platform for instant dissemination of information. If trust is at an all-time low, it's because more people are better informed than they have ever been in the history of this nation. And that's exactly the sort of thing that keeps a democracy democracy functioning and healthy. Final note, the original version of Cecilia's post contains some rather hilarious inaccuracies about the FBI to buttress his arguments about the agency's venerability. They've since been exercised, but the supposed paragons of bureau virtue included a fictional character and a U.S. Treasury agent who never worked for the FBI. I I will guess that's to do with the Capone case, the Treasury agent one. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, FBI venerated. (laughs) Okay, maybe for the first 16 years. Uh, And then J. Edgar got in charge. uh, And things went downhill after that. Uh, Things have been going steadily downhill for a long time. Literally, uh, it was probably okay up until the 20s when uh, that guy took charge. Um, (laughs) Basically took it crazy places. Um, Um, You know what's fucked up? Has anybody else read Chasing the Scream? No. I'm I'm the only one in here who's read Chasing the Scream. Okay. The last chapter of Chasing the Scream. Chasing the Scream is basically the history of drug prohibition in America. Um, and also what it looks like in other countries and how we kind of shape the view that people take towards addicts and, and how you treat addiction. It's a really interesting book. It made me ball my fucking eyes out a bunch of times. I really, I find it, I find it's a really important subject and it's one we should talk about, maybe not here, (laughs) but as a society, um, having a brother who died as a heroin addict, it's, it's a really big deal to me. Um, so it's a book written by Johan Hari. And in the very last chapter, um, he talks about the man who set forth the beginning of prohibition in this country. The very last chapter, you find out there was an expose written about this man and about J. Edgar Hoover, right? J. Edgar Hoover, our buddy, <laughs> Did you know that the the agency that's responsible has always been responsible, the DEA, bought J. Edgar Hoover heroin and yeah. helped him shoot it up every day for the rest of his life so he wouldn't be forced to buy it on a corner, mm-hmm. on a street corner like the rest of yep. America. Most people yep. don't know that. And that so, was one of his more but, pleasant habits. So yes. when you when you think you know everything you know about history, you don't know. I mean, everybody knew J. Edgar Hoover was a big fan of dressing up in a skirt and hose. 
And I don't think a lot of people knew he was a heroin addict. And I certainly don't think people knew the taxpayers were paying for him to get heroin every fucking day for his entire life. It wasn't just pretty heroin. Sure, I'm sure. But I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure people don't know that. Just in general. I didn't know that. When he died, apparently there was rather a lot of audio tapes that were burned in his <laughs> will instructions. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, he, he was very fond of recording conversations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's conversations, by the way. Who's the guy yes. who... Yeah, yeah, he 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 paved the way for you know Stingray and the like with his behaviour. So yeah. Oh, he he yeah. Uh, it's him that pioneered that in the states. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just um, well, I I'm really you know maybe every week I can read a little bit of Chasing the Scream. I don't know. I I liked. I actually liked last week when I read stuff from H.P. Lovecraft. That was a lot of fun. And Poe. Maybe it could be like a book club. That way we can all hear the book. I don't know. It's a thought. Um, Barry? Uh-huh. Your turn to pick one. Pick one. Your turn to pick a story. I know. <laughs> mm, There's so I many sweet ones to choose. <laughs> oh... Just to get it out of the way, the reporter, Russia server, etc. Okay. Please note, please note when I report this, I am not sticking up for Donald Trump at all. I'm just reporting the facts. The facts. Confused reporter doubles down on bogus Trump slash Russian server story with the I'm just asking questions non-apology from the this fucking election department. <laughs> Frank <laughs> is a pretty Love famous <laughs> from the this fucking election department. I think that's great. Yeah. Franklin Barr is a pretty famous reporter. But this week, he totally blew a story that a ton of other media operations had passed on for good reason claiming that there was an internet server out there owned by Donald Trump that was communicating almost exclusively with a server for a Russian bank. It took all of a few minutes to debunk this as technological confusion on the part of FOR and a whole heck of a lot of confirmation bias between FOR and the security researcher who had concocted this conspiracy theory with data that they're only supposed to be using for malware research. Of course, in this stupid election season, where both candidates simply love to fling ridiculous accusations at one another, Hillary Clinton herself tweeted out two separate tweets about the article and called it the most direct link yet between Donald Trump and Moscow. Except, of course, that was bullshit. It was nothing of the sort. It was some sort of confused security researchers teaming up with a reporter who famously doesn't like the internet or technology, getting a story so ridiculously wrong that it hurts. Some of us kept waiting for Slate to correct or just pull down the story, but they didn't. They put one small update and one small correction that didn't even touch on the core elements of the story that Fowler completely flubbed. On Thursday, instead, Fowler released a new story, which he claims is him revisiting the story to evaluate new evidence and counter theories. But that's also bullshit. The original theory made no sense at all. 
the counter theories are perfectly logical explanations backed up by data, but Foer basically puts them all on an equal footing and claims he stands by his original reporting. Ridiculously, Foer tries to debunk the claim that everyone made this was made this was just an outsourced Trump hotel spam server by arguing that it never appeared on any spam black hole list. Quote, was the server sending spam, unsolicited mail, as opposed to legitimate commercial marketing? There are databases that assuredly and comprehensively catalog spam. I entered the internet protocol address for mail1trumpemail.com to check if it ever showed up in spam house and DNS, dnsbl.info. There were no traces of the IP address ever delivering spam. Perhaps the spam went uncatalogued because it was being sent to a single bank in Russia. But L. Jean Camp, an Indiana University computer scientist and a source of my original story, thought that possibility unlikely. It's highly implausible that spam would continue for so many months that it would never be reported to spam blocker or that nobody else in the world would see the spam during that time frame, she told me. Wait, what? This seems to be forward doubling down on his ignorance and confusion about the story. Almost everyone discussing how this is a spam server was using spam in the colloquial sense of marketing emails. They weren't arguing that it was literal unsolicited email servers spewing things like fake Viagra or fake diplomas, though with Trump, I guess that one's a possibility too. It's just a marketing server. And people who stay at Trump hotels get on a mailing list. I get that kind of spam all the time from hotels or hotel chains I've stayed at. I don't categorize it as outright spam in the purely scammy sense, but it's marketing spam. For Fower and Camp to act as if everyone meant the scammy kind of spam. And as Rob Graham notes in yet another debunking of Fower, this shows a serious misunderstanding of how spam blacklists work anyway. Sendin is constantly getting added to block lists when people complain. They spend considerable effort contacting the many organizations maintaining blacklists proving they do opt-outs and getting whitelisted instead of blacklisted. Indeed, the entire spam blacklisting industry is a bit of a scam. Getting whitelisted often involves a bit of cash. Those maintaining blacklists only go back a few months. The article is an error saying there's no record of sending ever sending spam. Instead, if an address comes up clean, it means there's no record of it for the past few months. And if sending is in the whitelist, there would be no record of that spam at all anyway. Later, Forward does continue does consider the marketing email idea, but also tries to discount it. Still, the marketing email theory has a few holes. A typical marketing campaign would involve wide distribution of emails, spreading the word of discounted prices and hotel openings far and wide. It seems unlikely that a campaign would so exclusively focus on a bank in Russia and a healthcare company in Michigan, which received a small batch of DNS lookups, even if, as one critic has claimed, executives from Alpha Bank had a pension for staying in Trump hotels, except that's misleading too, because the information that has been received publicly does not prove the server in question only communicated with the Russian server. In fact, others have argued it's not true. Graham also raises some pretty serious questions about DNS experts that Fowler relies on, Jean Camp. Jean Camp isn't an expert. I've never heard of her before. She gets details wrong. Take, for example, in this blog post where she discusses lookups for domain.trump.email.com, moscow.alfrania.net. She says, this query is unusual that it merges two host names into one. It makes the most sense as a human error in inserting a host name in a dialogue window, but neglecting to hit the backspace to delete the host name, the old host name. Uh-oh, it's normal DNS behavior with non-FQDNs. If the lookup 
for a name fails, computers, computer, if the lookup for a host name fails, computers will try again, pasting the local domain in the end. In other words, when Twitter's DNS was taken offline by DDoS attacks a couple weeks ago, those monitoring DNS saw a zillion lookups for names like www.twitter.example.com. He then goes on to reproduce the kind of merge host name situation. Graham has a number of other examples of technical points that forward just gets totally wrong. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. Rather than just admit he's wrong, forward tries to post these counter theories and then pulls out a, well, I just hope my reporting gets us closer to the truth. Quote, I pursued this story because I was impressed by the emphatic belief that the experts I consulted, my suspicions were raised by the evidence they presented, and I thought I would be remiss if I sat on the data I believe deserves to be evaluated and understood before we elect the next president. The underlying context for this piece is that Donald Trump has cultivated a troubling relationship with Russia, and the U.S. government has identified Russia as trying to meddle in this election. Not every nexus between the candidates and Russia is nefarious. This one might well be entirely innocent or even accidental. As the New York Times reported on Tuesday after my story published, the FBI looked into the server activity but ultimately concluded there could be an innocuous explanation like marketing email or spam for the computer contacts. Or maybe it's less than innocent, as the computer scientists suggested and still believe. I've checked back with eight of the nine computer scientists and engineers I consulted for my original stories, and they all stood by their fundamental analysis. One of them couldn't be reached. I concluded my account of these scientists' search for answers by arguing that the servers and their activity deserve further explanation. Hopefully, my story and the debate that has followed will move us closer to a floor. <clears throat> Except, it seems like the truth almost certainly is that there's no story at all here. And in publishing, as if it was a story, a whole bunch of people are making up questionable claims. The whole Russian connection thing that keeps popping up in this election is getting pretty ridiculous. It may well be that the Russians are trying to muck with our election. Lots of credible people are suggesting that's the case. But then coming up with a bunch of weak conspiracy theories based on technical ignorance and confirmation bias is just like being scared of monsters in the shadows. Like I said, I'm not sticking up for him, but people... It's like yeah, this, this court. as it says, that, that connection's... It's so tenuous. conspiracy theory and tenuous that yeah, it's the real connection. If there's any real connection with Trump and Russia, it's financial and it's in his tax records, which he won't show anybody. Really? Yeah. Because I, in the past, <laughs> he has done business with certain Russian oligarchs, and it'll be in there. That's his connection with Russia, but then he's got connections there in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, loads yeah. of other. Slightly dodgy countries he's had yep. financial dealings with in the past. So, yeah, I mean, yes, there's connections, but not this one. As much as as much as the last eight years has pushed a one-world economy, why the fuck wouldn't he have some kind of financial dealings with something in Russia? I mean, for fuck's sake, we armed ISIS, for God's sake. And yeah. Let's so, not forget, you know, we, we still give money to moderate Syrian rebels and all our weapons and money goes to IS. Somebody fucking explain that to me, why that's still viable. Go ahead. Sorry. Jeannie, go ahead. Hello? No, I mean, I just, there's, 
everything has moved to such a one world economy mm-hmm. that I, personally I could give a fuck about his taxes. If if people aren't concerned with Hillary Clinton's emails and private servers and her pay to play and the fact that the Clinton Foundation paid for her daughter's fucking wedding. I mean, big who gives a flying fuck if he had business dealings with Russia? And I, I really don't care about his taxes. I really don't. I know. I don't either. Um, I'm going to... Stick a link in chat. It's 22 minutes long when I actually get it to come up. And it's from a very smart journalist who leans way to the left. Her name is Abby Martin. She does a show called The Empire Files. Um, I suggest if you want to know anything about the Clintons and their pay-to-play business dealings, you might want to look at. It's 22 minutes long. It's very well done. It's a good watch. It's It raises some very good questions. She goes into the WikiLeaks dumps, which I didn't do here, even though I read them. I've read a lot of WikiLeaks emails. More than I wanted to. I started reading the newest dump yesterday where they were communicating with reporters and that's just fucking terrible but abby martin really explains this stuff and and no matter what side of the fence you sit on right or left or if you're like me you're somewhere in the middle but you lean a little to the left not overly to the left not overly to the right you know you will find a lot of truth in this that you're not going to get from mainstream media and really is worth a watch if you're going to go vote you might want to take a look at this yeah it's and a good watch she's a very good oh, reporter. And, and by the way i'm not voting for him either um i don't want people to think that i'm sitting over here all being a trump supporter i'm not Mm-mm. but i'm not either but i think they should point be held out. to equal standards yeah both of them. exactly Th- that's how it should be and it's not it's not she's getting a pass and the press is just, like, bloodying this asshole's nose every time we turn around. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but she deserves the same treatment from the press for the shit she's done. She doesn't get to get a pass. You don't Actually, get... I think she deserves worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm not voting for him either. Um... I'm not voting for him. I'm not voting for her. Like I said, Berman Supreme 2016. Um, it... Well, I, th- I think everybody in this show kind of agrees... Both the main candidates are seriously corrupted. Oh, they're, cases. they're both just terrible. Yeah, <laughs> they're you know you, you could you could. Have what intrigues chin- me? What intrigues me? And one journalist brought it up over here, but funnily enough, not on the mainstream media. Oh. Is the media has coalesced? You know, it's uh, the campaign's all about. Loud, obnoxious Trump versus crooked Hillary. But (laughs) they're both crooked and they're both (laughs) sick people. It's not like, you know, but they only report, you know, the the emails, etc., the back dealing of Hillary and the out in public loudmouth annoyances of Trump. But Mm -hmm. they both 
do that shit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's really unbiased reporting because, yeah, they've both done equally shady stuff in all fields, uh, but the press just isn't covering it all. No, they're not. They've kind of decided like, we'll just stick yeah, with that story for that emails, one. Though, yeah. Oh. The, the stuff in the WikiLeaks emails, like, I, I'm laughing about spirit cooking. I, I, I laughed about um, aliens exist and all that shit that's been in the Podesta emails um, simply because it should be laughed at. And there's probably a lot of stuff in our own personal emails that should be fucking laughed at that no one should ever see. Right? Yes. I mean, that's that's just common fucking sense. But the corruption at the heart of this is disgusting. It is disgusting. And it goes back further than you can imagine. Okay. And I notice that no one's mentioning the little tidbit about the human trafficking. I, you know, I don't, I don't go into things that I can't prove, but you know what I'll tell you what, go talk to any Haitian because Every town, every city has a place where Haitians live, right? I mean, yes. most of us don't live in a total backwoods where everybody's white. There are Haitian people everywhere. Go ask them about the Clinton Foundation and the good work they did after the earthquake. Exactly. And then stand the fuck back. Well, and so like, my biggest piss off with the entire election is that it is just swimming in race war and that above all things is infuriating me the fact that there is any kind of racial tensions in this country is is fucking ridiculous at this day and age and the fact that the two people who want to be the commander-in-chief of this country are adding fuel to that fire makes me absolutely livid. You know, but I always say I don't talk about things I can't prove. Right? And yet, I can't remember a story I didn't do. And it was a couple of years ago, and I saw overwhelming evidence with my own eyes and the reason i didn't do this story is because it was racially loaded and the story is about one time in the early 90s um the bloods and the crips are having their usual turf war in los angeles and they walk a group of bloods walk into an alley and there's literal cases and cases and cases of machine guns and weapons that like you and I can't get our hands on automatic fully automatic rifles all this sort of thing um you know that doesn't the, the army doesn't generally just drop off weapons in an area where there's gang warfare intentions that doesn't generally happen and it's happened more than once and i didn't report on that because it was so racially sensitive i couldn't do it and i dug and i dug and i dug and i dug 
And yeah, the U.S. Army was missing a bunch of fucking weapons. And where did they turn up? In Los Angeles, in the middle of mm-hmm. gang warfare. Yeah, um, the, the U.S. Well, not just the U.S. military, but yeah, yeah, your, yours is known for it. Yeah. Has a really high loss rate of weapons. It does. That's what it is. It's a loss rate. It's yeah. like, well, we did an audit and we're a few thousand right. of this short and a few thousand of that short. You're like, excuse well, me? We, short? About, what do you mean short? Yeah. yeah. We don't know where they are. <laughs> yeah. Right? So so there's fuckery there somewhere, right? It's something ridiculous like 8% a year or something. Yeah. They lose. It's fucking, <laughs> they lose. They just go missing. They become ghost guns. Yep. Which doesn't really happen. Right, they're they're ending up somewhere, and that was the story I was following. I and was following they they, it for they do months. they do yeah. I mean they they try to blame servicemen for losses and stuff like that. Uh, but anyone's in, been in the military will know you sign in and sign out all your equipment, etc. Yeah. So no 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 no, that's not where they're going missing. It's no, when they're, they're in storage with... or in transit. Yep. Yep. And you either have to be in the right job or have the right rank to have access to cases of this shit. Yes. Well, so I'm not saying... really. I mean, there's a story, what, about six months ago that John covered where the one of the one? bunkers had been broken into. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't I guarded. Mean... Right. I mean, <laughs> so it, somebody just it... broke in and took the stuff. It's like... It happens. It happens, but it doesn't generally end up like this is no. And it's happened more than once here. So that tells me someone would like these people to wipe each other out. That someone who would like these people to wipe each other out is infinitely more well-connected and, you know, above common law, like the rest of us poor plebs at the bottom here, who would get thrown in the slammer and probably stuck in a fucking electric chair for doing the same thing. Um... I think, and this has always been my theory, that they actually want a race war. They actually would like us to wipe each other out. You see the high incidence of military armed police officers. You see that they reduced the recommendation for the IQ points of people to become police officers. You can see tensions rising every day with normal people and police. Um, You can see the loss of faith in the government and the detrimental effect it's it's really having on society. I kind of have always thought, you know, they want us to kill each other because the world that's left for whoever survives is going to be better. You know what I mean? Just statistically speaking, there's going to be more of, of everything for the people who are left. Sadly, that makes sense. I can't prove it, but I know it in my gut. And I don't normally talk about it because it makes me sound all Alex Jonesy weird. And I really don't like coming off the cuff with stuff like this. But the reason I say these things is if you think after these fucking elections are over that things are just going to magically heal over and get better, you're fucking deluded. <laughs> Shit is going to get worse no matter who gets in. Yep. All these tensions that have been stirred up are going to be worse. So just, you know, watch your six, guys. You know, take care of you and yours. Okay. Somebody pick a story. I can't. Oh, well. Okay. 
How about the one about uh, the Obama administration illegally diverting billions with a B again? <laughs> billions. Okay. I just want one billion. <laughs> I just want them to stop lying to us. Just tell us the truth. Okay. Yeah. Obama administration is illegally diverting billions to insurance companies. Well, there is a shocker. You remember the bailouts of the banks and the auto companies? Oh. Uh, this article appeared in the Orange County Register on October 6, 2016 by Michael F. Cannon. A government watchdog has determined that the Obama administration is violating its own health care law by illegally diverting up to $5 billion to private insurance companies participating in Obamacare. The U.S. Government Accountability Office is the nonpartisan federal watchdog that determines whether federal officials are spending taxpayer dollars in accordance with the law. In a legal opinion issued last week, the GAO accused the Obama administration of illegally diverting billions of taxpayer dollars to private insurance companies. And it's only going to get worse if you read all of the shit you know will bail out is in there for them. The opinions... The opinion concerned the administration's implementation of Obamacare's reinsurance program, one of several insurer bailouts designed to prop up Obamacare's rickety finances. Generally speaking, the reinsurance program taxes consumers in non-Obamacare plans to subsidize insurers who sell Obamacare plans. The program collects $25 billion from consumers, with $20 billion going to Obamacare participating insurers and $5 billion to the federal treasury. The law is specific. The amount that each healthcare insurer pays toward the $5 billion designated for the U.S. Treasury may not be used for the reinsurance program. But once insurance companies started participating in Obamacare's exchanges, started suffering huge losses and heading for the exits, the administration began funneling them the money that was supposed to go to the Treasury. The administration has so far diverted $3 billion in counting. The Obama administration claims it is complying with the law, but the GAO disagreed in the strongest terms, pointing out that the administration's actions are inconsistent with the plain language of the statute. The administration's interpretation is internally inconsistent, the GAO found, and focuses on words and phrases in the statute in isolation rather than, their, rather than in their appropriate context, which, ironically, is what the administration falsely accused its critics of doing in King v. Burwell. The GAO went so far as to say the administration invented nonsense legal arguments because Obamacare isn't working the way it had hoped. HHS's legal position, the watchdog wrote, appears to be driven solely by the factual circumstances presented here, namely lower than expected collections. The GAO's ruling should end the matter. Generally, the Associated Press reports, lawmakers of both parties represent the GAO's rulings on federal budget issues, yet this is Obamacare we're talking about. The administration is making so many unauthorized payments to private insurance companies participating in Obamacare that it's hard to keep them straight. Both the administrative and the Supreme Court acknowledge that operative text of the Affordable Care Act forbids certain payments to insurers participating in federally run exchanges. The administration is paying tens of billions of dollars to such insurers because it was able to convince the court to bless those payments anyway. It is making payments to insurers on behalf of exchange enrollees who are category ineligible for subsidies because they have incomes below the poverty line. It is paying insurers tens of billion dollars in illegal cost sharing payments that a federal judge ruled violate the Constitution. 
It is attempting to skirt a congressional ban on $2.5 billion in risk corridor payments to insurers that President Obama himself signed into law. It is even making illegal payments to insurance companies on behalf of members of Congress and their staffs, giving Congress its own special exemptions from Obamacare. Consistent with past practice, the Obama administration is thumbing its nose at the nonpartisan GAO by announcing it will continue to divert these taxpayer funds to insurance companies. If the rule of law means anything, it is that the government is as bound by the laws as are the people. If the people come to believe that the government is not, they will rightly conclude that neither are they. If President Obama or his successor, cunt, want more money for Obamacare, the only lawful course is to ask Congress for it. For now, for the sake of the American people, the Obama administration needs to stop making illegal payments to insurance companies. Reactions, thoughts. That's not likely to fucking happen. He's going to do what he wants. He's he's found a way. And we had... I said one time I want him to do something. Somebody says, well, he can't just do that. And I'm like, why the fuck can he? He does any other goddamn thing he wants to, even though he's not supposed to. But here's here's the bigger bitch. You know, and people don't see this. I had this, I had this argument with Will Cohen because I said Obamacare has been a complete and total failure. And he's like, no, it's not. And all these people got insurance. No, 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 no. It's a fucking failure. People like us, our insurance that we could afford before is now double. Yeah. If if we don't have it, we can't afford to pay the fine. Yep, All yep. these people that had Obamacare, I have seen post after post after post after post. And I don't think these people are lying at all. Their their Obamacare premiums have gone 100% from four hundred yeah, from four hundred dollars a month to eight hundred dollars a month. Because all these insurance companies are going, ooh, hoo, hoo, we got them by the short hairs now. And that's exactly what the fuck is happening. Obamacare has been a complete and total fucking failure. If he wanted to do something about health care, then they should have done something with medical billing reform and insurance reform. Those are the two fucking things he needed to fix. He needed to start throwing out frivolous lawsuits like, Oh, I had open heart surgery and the doctor saved my life, but I have a scar forever. I'm traumatized. I deserve money for that. No, the fuck you don't. You're not dead. That's what you deserve. You're not dead. Be fucking happy. He could have let you die. Would you have preferred that? Oh, no, but you want free money. Start throwing that shit the fuck out of court. Quit wasting money on that shit. Stop these fucking, and, and, oh my God. Remember Paul's CAT scan, Margo? Remember that? Yes, yes. And my yes, husband yes. had to go to get, get a CAT scan. We get the fucking bill in the mail, and it was like almost $5,000 or something. And then there was the insurance adjustment, and yep. it brought it down to $1,000. Well, you know what? If that fucking CAT scan was only worth $1,000, then they should only be charging a fucking $1,000 for it. Just because an insurance company's paying for it doesn't mean it should be at a cheaper price than if me walking in off the street had to pay cash for it. This is fucking ridiculous. Having insurance affordable affordable health care is fucking laughable it's laughable it is anything but it has been a failure to the people and anybody that says otherwise i think in my personal opinion needs to have their goddamn head examined okay. amen um, yeah i mean so- it's it's yeah it it was a solution to a problem that was the wrong solution as you say your healthcare industry needed reform but not by adding extra insurance and 
everything, it needed uh, all, to stop all the price gouging. That's basically what it comes a down crutch. to. It needed a crutch, and what it got was a complete... Um, oh, God, wheelchair? what's... Electric oh. wheelchair? <laughs> complete reconstructive surgery. Um... <laughs> If you've got a broken nose, you get your nose fixed. That doesn't mean you need an entire face job. Um, if you've got a broken leg, it goes in a cast for six weeks. It doesn't mean you need fucking liposuction on your thigh on top of it. Um, no, it it is such a colossal fuck. Not everybody knows that earlier this year, I had to go in for numerous biopsies. And when the initial hospital bill came back, it was like to the tune of over 15 grand. And once again, that lovely insurance adjustment amount, it's like, wait a minute, if you could fucking do this for $3,000 in the first place, why didn't you just bill for $3,000 instead of $15,000? And what's really sad is... Sometimes they get more money because they bill at those outrageous amounts. I think a lot of that is changing. And that's the kind of shit that perhaps should have been dealt with. But I know families that are not insured. They're getting hit with these fines. And it's cheaper for them to pay the fucking fine than it is to get the insurance. That's wrong. Well... You know, um, I actually posted a video. But yet, now, Margot, does your doctor's office have a sign up next to the window that says, if you don't have insurance, talk to us about a cash rate, and and the cash rate's like $35 for an office call? Mine did, and it set me right through the fucking roof. I'm like, wait a minute. You motherfuckers are billing my insurance. You're giving me a $25 copay, billing my insurance company $110. Why the fuck can they walk in here and go see the doctor for $35? If that's the case, I mean, there needs to be one price, period. No. This, this yeah, is what I the fucking price is because it's insurance, medical insurance is the biggest scam in this country. It is a ripoff. It's a joke. And we are very fortunate and very blessed. Our primary care physician has been taking care of our entire household for almost 28 years. And this man, if somebody comes in and they don't have money to pay for an office visit or they don't have insurance or they don't have their copay, it's okay. The doctor is still going to see you and treat you. He doesn't care. Um, I realize that that is the minority of people that have gone into the practice these days. Um, And that's another sad statement because what happened to the days where doctors took care of you and helped you and made you better. And then you settled up on the tab as best you could. Um, I know that before Obamacare, at least here, if you went to an emergency room and you were sick It didn't matter if you had insurance or not. They treated you. They helped you. They took care of you. They sent you home. If you had money, if you had insurance, it was taken care of. If you had neither, they had charitable programs that would pick up the tab for you. 
So that end of the healthcare, at least in this part of the country, did not need to be touched. Um, now there are people going without health care because they can't afford it. So where's, where's we're no, the we're no, we're no better off than we were before. I've always said or worse. we have, we had, we had a great county health care system here. It was great before they instituted Obamacare. What we needed were people to transport the people that needed health care to the county services, right? We have shitty transportation here. So everybody was just going to the hospital. Yeah. But the, the county health care we had was like world class, second to none. It took care of pregnant people, elderly people, people who are diabetic, anything you needed, you know, and at a discounted rate. And it saved a lot of money and it would have saved more money for people had they left it open in the long run. Because, you know, you could see a doctor for $7. Can you see a doctor for $7? I could. Yeah. And I had health insurance and I could walk in and see a doctor for seven dollars. Yeah. I got my TB panel there. And the reason I got TB panel, um, I, I self-carried health insurance when I went to dental school. To work in people's mouths, you have to have a lot of vaccines. So oh, I yeah. got my full my full TB panel there. I, I got a bunch of shots I would never normally get. And I think the whole thing wound up costing me about $100. And had I gone with my health insurance to get it done, um, it would have been astronomical. And what I would have yeah. had to pay would have been astronomical. That's just my experience from when I was in school. And it might not be like that now. But we had phenomenal health care. People just had to get to it. That yeah. was our big problem. And we also had a phenomenal city and county health department that provided that kind of a service for no charge at all to people. Um, yeah, people who as soon as Obamacare went through, that was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's basically a tax on the poor. They said it wasn't a tax. It's a tax. It's a tax on the poor. Um, like all taxes, it, it affects them worst of all. For some, some people... Obamacare has worked out really well. Their premiums have gone down. Um, for the majority of people, they've gotten screwed. I almost think they want to destroy the health insurance industry and go to single payer, which they do. after seeing what Obamacare is like, that's fucking fine. Then, then they you should know, have just fucking done that. That's, that's, that's my thing is, you know, if, if you want, if you want everyone to have health care, then you know what, United States government? Step the fuck up and run this shit. Just just fucking have done with it. And everybody's like, well, you know, you'd be paying one way or another, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Fine. Then fucking do it that way. Don't don't put this pile of shit out here and, and make us want to burn down the insurance industry because that's what's happening. It's it, not just the insurance industry. Is everyday people want to burn down the healthcare system because it's it's not working. Go back to the days when it was illegal for drug companies to advertise on television because yeah. everybody everybody and and FDA approval. How how about this? Dude. People and yeah, 
my opinion of the FDA, everybody's well versed in my opinion of the FDA. Uh, I, it stands for fucking dumbasses. Um, because, you know, getting a drug FDA approved doesn't mean it's a good drug. It just means you had a shit ton of fucking money to, to push it through there. You know, exactly. Chantix being number one on that list. I mean, this shit is killing people. And then, you know, you've, you've got the two new anticoagulants out there that you see commercials for these fucking things at least five times an hour. And, yeah. and they're killing people who did nothing but walk into a chair and bruise their leg. They're, they're fucking bleeding to death, but that's okay. Just yep. put some yep. black box warning, make three quarters of the commercial, all this stuff like this. And it's all, talking about all the side effects. And this might happen in my hand. You really should contact your doctor or stop taking this drug immediately. Bullshit. <laughs> Fuck, if, if you want everybody in the United States to have health care, then provide the fucking health care. Don't, don't say, here, you have to buy this insurance so that this insurance company, whose, whose profits are already astronomical and just keep fucking climbing, can screw everybody over some more and, and wonder why people fucking hate it. Harry, tell me about the NHS. Oh, you mean all the free health care? It's, yeah. it's not free. It's well, it's not, not free. free. No, it's paid for by taxes. But yeah, um, it is running into trouble, but that's because it's been underfunded for a long time because governments prefer nuclear weapons to hospitals for some reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the NHS is free at the point of service for any UK resident and technically any EU resident while we're still in the EU. So basically, you have a health problem, you go to your doctor, you get treatment. There are fees, but they are set fees. Like, uh, if you need medicine, the doctor gives you a prescription. And if you live in Scotland or Wales, it's free. <clears throat> and if English people are listening, I didn't just say that. It annoys <laughs> them. And if you're in England, you pay a fixed fee, depending on how many different drugs are in the prescription um hospital treatment yet again free um surgeries there are, not all surgery is free but most of it is there's approved procedures and unapproved procedures much like with an insurance policy but in the uk if it's unapproved but you still want to go ahead you can pay if you wish and yet again there are set prices um uh Okay, the Conservatives are trying to change this and are trying to go to the single-payer type system. They're slowly selling off bits of the NHS. NHS. Um, yeah. But at the minute, yeah, pretty much. Even some plastic surgeries and stuff like that are basically free. You can get them through the NHS. Now, I have a question. What, uh -huh. what kind? Say you go to your primary physician and mm -hmm. they refer you to a specialist for surgery. Mm -hmm. Um. What is the wait time from the time you are referred from your primary until you actually get the procedure? Does that happen relatively quickly, or are you on the slow burner for six months? It depends. Um, if it's life-threatening, you'll pretty much be taken straight away. Uh, if it's non-urgent, yeah, you can be waiting months. Um, well, it's worse for dental care in the UK. No, 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 no. Dental, oh no, really? no, 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 dental's got a lot better. Oh, uh, that's good. 
we we recruited a crap load of foreign dentists. (laughs) 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 You'd think, you know, that immigration was bad, but apparently it's how the NHS works. Uh, this keep this came up in the Brexit debate a lot. All the haters were like, "Oh, we must control immigration," and people were going, uh, "About eight percent of the NHS is foreign <laughs> workers that we've recruited." Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, for instance, my my dentist is um, of an Asian origin, <laughs> Indian subcontinent, Asian, not Oriental. Uh, <laughs> In fact, my last two dentists have been of that sort. Uh, mm-hmm. But one was we, one was well, he was Irish, but Asian. Okay. It's a bit strange, but is, yeah, I mean, we there are waiting lists, but yeah, better to have a waiting list for non-urgent stuff than people can't afford to get in the first place. That's the way I look yeah. at it. I mean, I've got mental health issues and I waited a long time for some of the referrals, but I wasn't at risk. So while it's annoying, it's fine. Uh, The waiting lists vary depending on where you live because the local health departments are bigger or smaller depending on where you live. You know, they're based on population size, basically. Yeah. So where I live... The mental health team is quite small because it's not a highly populated area. Therefore, the waiting list's a bit longer because they can't afford to have as many... Prefer- you know, because, yes, yeah, psychiatrists and psychologists tend to, you know, be quite well-paid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But, yes, uh, successive governments have run the NHS into the ground somewhat. Uh, the recession didn't help. It doesn't help, you see. The main problem the NHS has got isn't that it's free healthcare for everyone. That's that's a great ideal. It's one socialist thing that I kind of agree with. You know, if you're sick, you should get treatment. Right. Um, and yeah, as I say, we do have, have a we, we do have fees, so it's not as if everything's free. Right. Although everybody. All the right-wing people are all like, oh, people should pay their way, blah, blah, blah. It's like they do. <laughs> it's called taxation. They their taxes. Um, yeah, you have that's the highest, what it's for. You have some of the highest taxation rates. Yeah. Yes, they do. Unless you're rich, I mean, but well, that's normal. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this, the system works fine, but funnily enough, it's the governments that screw it up. Because they're amazing. in, they're in five years at a time, so they mess around with it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how to suit their own ends. It's amazing how when you add government to the mix, they completely fuck everything up. Well, I mean, there has been a lot of talk recently about the NHS should be run by an independent panel made up of all the political parties, not just whichever party happens to be in charge at the minute. It's probably never going to happen, but really that's what should happen. Mm-hmm. Rather than whichever the current government is can do what they like to it, uh, it should be that it's, you know, always mm-hmm. a mix from all political sides, not just right. one political side who take their ideas to Parliament. Usually 
whatever they want gets through because they've got a majority. <laughs> you know, because we still run first past the post politics. Uh, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, you have what I call a mixed economy. Yes. Which is the one thing I've said you actually need to have a middle class. And mm. yet, I see your government taking sick people and saying, yes, yes, they're fit to work. People with fucking brain tumors laying in the hospital in a vegetative state being cleared as fit for work. Yeah. Well, they have the, the report finally uh, got released uh, just after Ian Duncan Smith had legged it from the job uh, being yeah. in charge of the Department for Work and Pensions. But they have confirmed there's at least... And this is based on stuff that has been released, not any hidden stuff that they've come across yet. 2,400 people died within mm -hmm. six weeks of being found fit for work. For work, yeah. That's a problem. And, that, and, that's, uh, and that's the official numbers that have been massaged heavily by the government. <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah, ones they'll admit to. Yeah. Which tells yeah, you all you need to know. That's not counting the ones that had heart attacks and this. Oh well, they had a heart attack, so they died. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing, and I'm not being sarcastic. If I'm forced to pay taxes so I don't go live in a cage, which I am, I am happy to pay for people to be who are physically disabled and cannot work to not work. I am. Happy to put my money into healthcare for people who need it. I am Correct. happy to pay towards what we call social welfare programs. What I'm not happy paying for is bombing brown people we've never met and have no problems with. That's something Hitler wants oh, oh, to no, no. get you, in on the missed, bottom floor with. You missed and, the other one that I really don't like. Uh, okay. Politicos, so they can have nice dinners. I wasn't done yet. I have a big All list right. of things yeah. I'm not willing to pay for. I am not willing to pay for drone bombing people. I am not willing to pay for people living high on the hog on my dime. Sorry, Congress. Fuck you. Live on what I make. Um, yes. I am... Let's see. I'm willing to pay a road tax. I'm willing to pay a mileage tax. Uh, I'm willing to pay a lot of taxes for the resources that I use. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. I consider that a fee for service. What I have a problem with is when corruption eats into the money that should be going to the sick, to the disabled, to the poor, to the needy. Um, and, you know, I, I'm actually at the point where I think there was a point in the early 1900s where we had uh, mutual aid societies poor yes. people would get together and they would have like a lodge and everybody would pool their resources they would put in like a day's pay for a day's pay at your work you would get disability insurance for a, a day's work pay you would get health insurance for your own for your whole entire family for a year for right. a day's pay, you would get life insurance. So for three days' pay, you would get all of these things from joining these lodges. And that was how the poor people used to help each other. And it was the medical establishment that got involved and said, no, no, no. You know, these lower class people should not be dictating to doctors because they would compete fiercely for these lodge practice contracts. 
because it was very lucrative. They got a lot of money up front and they lived quite nicely off it. And the poor people got really good health care because if they didn't, they were not coming back next year. You know, it was a fee for service, but yet everybody pulled together and everybody got taken care of and it cost nothing. And when the government got involved, they fucking fixed it real good. Oh, yeah. I have a real problem. Part of the thing is, though, too, now, Jan, is your child gets a 101 temperature. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Margo and I would give the kids some Advil. And in a half an hour, if it wasn't starting to come down, we'd give them a dose of Tylenol. Because every parent on the fucking planet should know by now they're two separate drugs. They go at a fever two separate directions and be, can be given like that. Mm-hmm. And, and we would wait until tomorrow and see how our child was doing. Is it, is it being managed? Is it being kept manageable? And, and that's what you would do. Where, no, that's not what happens now. Oh, my God, my child has 101 fever. I'm going to have to go to the emergency room. We have to take them right now. People would not make it on their own. Um, do, you, do you want a bit of lighter uh, health oh, stuff? Please. Right. <laughs> D- differences, in, differences in culture, this is. So, yeah, U.S. and... UK and most other places, most medicines you're given tablets you take them orally yeah what do you think the biggest type of tablet use in France is Pastory. yep yeah. oh, good cultural differences <laughs> wow <laughs> Now, we we, we don't defense. like people going down there, but apparently well, actually, the French. Actually, but that that gets it's stuff the in your bloodstream. Method of administration. Yeah, well, sublinguals probably the best, but yeah, but well, a lot I of mean, drugs can't go I sublingual. Didn't say it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean that that actually is a viable route for a lot of. Uh, There's I a lot my, of drugs I've, that actually works I've, better I've, than an IV would. I have migraines. I will go to the hospital and get an IV rather than take the suppository they give me for nausea. (laughs) (laughs) That's just me. Um, The migraine has to be really bad for that to happen, but they offered me that. I was like, you want to give, you want me to stick what, where, when I'm throwing up? Do you really think I have the capability to do it? I don't know who here has had a migraine before, but I get to the point where I'm like laying on the floor, dry heaving. Like, I can't stop. And you want me to stick a suppository where when I'm dry heaving? That's just not going to happen. And the other thing they fail to tell you is a lot of those types of suppositories, once it's inserted and it starts melting, you think somebody shoved a flamethrower up your ass and you want to (laughs) die even more. So it's not always a pleasant experience. Well, yeah, yeah. I, friends, I, I, friends. I think oral tablets, while they may not be as effective, yeah, I think I'll if go that way. If you can keep them down, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean the 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 new the newer tablets, the sublingual ones, are 
really, yeah. really good. <laughs> you pop it under your tongue, it's gone in seconds, you feel better almost straight away. It's brilliant. Well, yeah, but I have I have the kind of migraines that, oddly enough, they don't respond to newer medication at all. Uh, mine respond to... Ah, well, when I say medication. newer medication, it's not new medications, it's new delivery method. Ah. They've, the, a lot of the older formulations, they have uh, discovered a way to make, basically make them effervesce so they can ah. work sublingually. You stick them under your tongue, they dissolve mm -hmm. really quick and... That's they, they one of the best be places to elsewhere, but they're sure not doing it in the United States because you see, there's no fucking money in it yeah. in the United States. Yeah, but it, no. in the, in Europe, sublinguals becoming very common uh, for a lot of the drugs. Well, Christ, well Jan, you, mm -hmm. you need to like you need to cheer me up because I okay. my, my brain is having a fucking meltdown. Read about the ACLU or something fucking cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> Read about the ACLU or something cheerful. Okay. All right. ACLU wants 23 secret surveillance laws made public. You know, people always, my whole life, people always said the ACLU has done nothing for this person or that person. They stick up for everybody. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. If it's a free speech issue, they're pretty much on your side. Just saying. Uh, or a surveillance issue. So the, they are on your side. It's just they're going to represent a lot of shit you don't like. Okay. The ACLU has identified 23 legal opinions that contain new or significant interpretations of surveillance law affecting the government's use of malware, its attempt to compel technology companies to circumvent encryption, and the CIA's bulk collection of financial records under the quote-unquote Patriot Act bullshit all of which remain secret to this day, despite an ostensible push for greater transparency following Edward Snowden's disclosures. The opinions were written by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. On Wednesday, the ACLU and Yale Law School Media Freedom Clinic filed a motion with the court requesting that those opinions be released. Quote, the people of this country can't hold the government accountable for its surveillance activities unless they know what our laws allow, said Patrick Toomey, a staff attorney with the ACLU's National Security Project. Quote, the secret court opinions define the limits of the government spying powers. Their disclosure is essential for meaningful public oversight in our democracy. Oh, fucking bullshit. Some of the opinions identified by the ACLU offer interpretations of Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, a controversial a controversial provision that allows the government to conduct mass surveillance on Americans' transnational communications. The authority is set to expire in December 2017, which, of course, they will jump to fucking renew, probably thanks to someone like that cunt Diane Feinstein. Disclosure of the opinions would shed light on how the government understands the boundaries of its spying power. Earlier this month, for example, after Reuters reported that Yahoo is secretly scanning every customer's incoming email, anonymous officials told the New York Times that the action was based on an individualized order from the secret court. Disclosure of the order would offer insight into why the government thinks that is legal. Yahoo, for its part, on Wednesday, urged the director of national intelligence to release and explain the court order in question. The ACLU identified 23 still-secret opinions by combing through the press clippings and publicly released opinions. 
a report released Tuesday by the Brennan Center for Justice, which was based on documents obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, similarly found that the government has kept classified 25 to 30 significant court opinions and orders dating from 20, 2003 to 2013. Uh, 2013. Congress established the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in 1978. God bless them. They really weren't able to do anything, but God bless them, they tried, uh, to approve warrants against foreign agents and spies. But after the attacks of September 11, 2001, it took a dramatically expanded role, secretly interpreting its surveillance laws for law enforcement and intelligence agencies. The court meets in secret, and until the recent inclusion of the spe specially designated friends of the court, the only government, only the government was represented before it. Critics of the FISC argued that its opinions amount to, quote, secret law that is not approved by Congress and cannot be appealed. You know, when you have a secret court, you have a secret police and, you know, freedom <laughs> doesn't live there. In 2013, NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden revealed that the FISC had authorized the bulk collection of America's phone records, despite the fact the law only allowed collection of records relevant to an authorized investigation. Calls for transparency in the wake of the Snowden disclosures prompted the government to undertake a declassified review of past FISC opinions, a process they say is still ongoing. The Snowden disclosures also prompted Congress to pass the USA Freedom Act. <laughs> One thing about Congress, when they pass a law, read deeper into it than the title because it doesn't mean what it says, uh, which requires the government to disclose legally significant FISC opinions going forward but the government maintains that the legal requirement does not apply to past opinions. Which, there's a shocker. But... Yeah, it's no surprise. Uh, yeah. They got caught out having some secret shit. Uh, and they haven't, they, they, when they got caught out, they're like, okay, we'll stop doing it. Well, have you done it in the past? Oh, no. No, it was classified when we're doing it. <laughs> it was classified even though it was illegal. Stop asking questions! Yeah. <laughs> Normal government handling of information. Yeah. Yes. That makes like... it super duper secret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now it's double, triple, top secret. You can't know about it. Nah, nah. It's just ridiculous. It they is, it is like games. a treehouse operation. Yeah. It is. They play children's games with these very adult things. Yep. And it's ridiculous. That's and politics. They don't, they don't <laughs> want to be held accountable for it. Well, it's politics, but it's snooping. Yeah. I mean, God. I just call it all the blame game. Mm. That's the other thing they do. They always shift responsibility. Oh, yeah. It was like, okay. oh, well, we're in charge now, but it was those people that were in charge before that did the nasty thing. So it's not oh, our fault. But you're still doing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you know we're doing it. <laughs> but it's legal now. Yeah. No, it's not. Yes, it is, as far as you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Oh, boy. So, um, I recommend not using AT&T for a wireless <laughs> carrier fucking ever. Ever. Does anybody agree with me on that? Absolutely. Okay. Well, AT AT and T's UK operation was bought out by Virgin, so it's fine over here. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Well, it's it's um, all Virgin now. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure Virgin does nothing like that. Okay. So, uh, Jeannie, you were saying you absolutely agree with me about not using AT&T. Uh, yeah. Okay. Did you read this story? Uh, yeah, I'm the one who put it in here and did the research on it. It took a couple weeks to find out all the bits and pieces before I settled on this one story. Um, okay. So, here we go. AT&T is spying on Americans for profit, new documents reveal. The telecom giant is doing NSA-style work for law enforcement without a warrant and earning millions of dollars a year from taxpayers. On November 11, 2013, Victoriaville, California Sheriff's deputies and a coroner responded to a motorcyclist report of human remains outside of town. They identified the partially bleached skull of a child and later discovered the remains of the McStay family, who had been missing for the past three years. Joseph, 40, his wife, Summer, 43, Gianni, 4, and Joseph, 3, had been bludgeoned to death and buried in a shallow grave in the desert. Investigators long suspected Charles Merritt and the family's disappearance. Interviewing him days after they went missing, Merritt was McShay's business partner and the last known person to see him alive. Merritt had also borrowed $30,000 from McStay to cover his gambling debt, a mutual business partner told police. None of it was enough to make up an arrest. Even after the gravesite was discovered and McStay's DNA was found inside Merritt's vehicle, police were far from pinning the quadruple homicide on him until they turned to Project Hemisphere. This is one we didn't know about. Hemisphere is a secretive program run by AT&T that searches trillions of call records and analyzes cellular data to determine where a target is located, with whom he speaks, and potentially why. Merritt was in a position to access the cellular telephone tower northeast of the McStay family gravesite on February 6, 2010, two days after the family disappeared. An affidavit for his girlfriend's cell phone records reports Hemisphere's findings. Merritt was arrested almost a year to the date after the next day's family remains were discovered and is awaiting trial for the murders. In 2013, Hemisphere was revealed by the New York Times and described only within a PowerPoint presentation made by the Drug Enforcement Administration. The Times described it as a partnership between AT&T and the U.S. government. The Justice Department said it was essential and prudently deployed counter-narcotics tool. However, AT&T's own documents, reported by the Daily Beast, shows Hemisphere was used far beyond the war on drugs, to include everything from investigations of homicide to Medicaid fraud. Hemisphere isn't a partnership, but rather a product AT&T developed, marketed, and sold at a cost of millions of dollars per year to taxpayers. No warrant is required to make use of the company's massive trove of data, according to AT&T documents, only a promise from law enforcement not to disclose Hemisphere if an investigation using it becomes public. These new revelations come as the company seeks to require Time Warner in the face of vocal opposition saying the deal would be bad for consumers. You have no idea how bad it would be for consumers. Donald Trump told supporters over the weekend he would kill the acquisition if he's elected president. Hillary Clinton has urged regulators to scrutinize the deal. While telecommunications companies are legally obligated to hand over records, AT&T appears to have gone much further to make the enterprise profitable, according to the ACLU's technology policy analyst, Christopher Segoyan. Companies have to give this data to law enforcement upon request if they have it. AT&T doesn't have to data mine its database to help police come up with new numbers to investigate, Segoyan said. 
AT&T has a unique power to extract information from its metadata because it retains so much of it. The company owns more than three quarters of U.S. landline switches and the second largest share of the nation's wireless infrastructure and cell phone towers behind Verizon. AT&T retains its cell tower data going back to July 2008, longer than other providers. Verizon holds records for a year and sprint for 18 months, according to 2011 retention schedule obtained by the Daily Beast. The disclosure of Hemisphere was not the first time the AT&T has been caught working with law enforcement above and beyond what the law requires. Special cooperation with the government to conduct surveillance dates back to at least 2003, when AT&T ordered technician Mark Klein to help the NSA install a bug directly into its main San Francisco Internet Exchange Point Room 641A. The company invented a programming language to mine its own records for surveillance and in 2007 came under fire for handing these records over to the FBI. That's the same year that Hemisphere was born. By 2013, it was deployed to three DEA high-intensity drug trafficking areas, investigative support centers, according to the Times. Today, Hemisphere is used in at least 28 of these intelligence centers across the country, documents show. The centers are staffed by federal agents as well as local law enforcement. One center is the Los Angeles Regional Criminal Investigation Clearinghouse, where Merritt's number was sent for analysis. Analysis is done by AT&T employees on behalf of law enforcement clients through these internet intelligence centers, but performed at another location in the area. At no point does law enforcement directly access AT&T's data. A statement of work from 2014 shows how hush-hush AT&T wants to keep Hemisphere. The government agency agrees not to use data as evidence in any judicial or administrative proceedings unless there is no other available and administrative uh, probable evidence, it says. But those charged with a crime are entitled to know the evidence against them come trial. Adam Schwartz, staff attorney for activist group, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, says that means that AT&T may leave investigators no choice but to construct a false investigative narrative to hide how they use Hemisphere if they plan to prosecute anyone. Once AT&T provides a lead through Hemisphere, then investigators use routine police work, like getting a court order for a wiretap or following a suspect around to provide the same evidence for the purpose of prosecution. This is known as parallel construction. This document here is striking, Schwartz told the Daily Beast. I've seen documents produced by the government regarding Hemisphere, but this is the first time I've seen an AT&T document which requires parallel construction in a service to government. It's very troubling and not the way law enforcement should work in this country. The federal government reimburses municipalities for the expense of Hemisphere through the same grant that is blamed for the police militarization by paying for military gear like Bearcat vehicles. At a minimum, there's a very serious question whether they should be doing it without a warrant. The benefit to the parallel construction is they never have to face that crucible. Then the judge, the defendant, the general public, the media, and elected officials never know the AT&T and police across America, funded by the White House, are using the world's largest metadata database to surveil people, Schwartz said. The EFF, American Civil Liberties Union, and Electronic Privacy Information Center have all expressed concern that surveillance using Hemisphere is unconstitutionally invasive and have sought more information on the program with little success. The EFF is currently awaiting a judge's ruling on its Freedom of Information Act suit against the Department of Justice for Hemisphere documentation. AT&T spokesperson Letcher Cook told the Daily Beast via an email there is no special database and the only additional service AT&T provides 
for Atlantis Intelligence Center is dedicated to personal personnel to speed up requests. Like other communications companies, if a government agency seeks customer call records through subpoena, court order, or other mandatory legal process, we are required by law to provide this non-consent information, such as phone numbers and date and time of calls, AT&T said. Sagoyan said AT&T is being misleading. They say they only cooperate with law enforcement as required, and frankly, that's offensive when they are mining the data of millions of innocent people and really built a business and services around the needs of law enforcement, he said. Sheriff and police departments pay $100,000, pay from $1,000 upward to upward of $1 million a year or more for hemisphere access. Harris County, Texas, home to Houston, made its inaugural payment to AT&T of $77,924 in 2007, according to a contract reviewed by the Daily Beast. Four years later, the county's hemisphere bill had increased more than tenfold to $940,000, yeah, almost a million dollars. Did you see that movie Field of Dreams, Sigoyan asked. It's like that line, if you build it, they will come. Once a company creates a huge surveillance apparatus like this and provides its law enforcement, then they have to provide it wherever the government asks. They've developed this massive program, and of course, they're going to sell it to as many people as possible. AT&T documents state law enforcement doesn't need a search warrant to use Hemisphere, just an administrative subpoena, which doesn't require probable cause. The DEA was granted administrative subpoena power in the 1970s. The Supreme Court ruled in 1979, Smith v. Maryland, that non-consent metadata, such as phone records, were like an address written on an envelope, and phone customers had no reasonable explanation that it would be kept private. AT&T stores data for every call, text message, Skype chat, or other communication that has passed through its infrastructure, retaining many records and dating back to 1987, according to the Times 2013 Hemisphere Report. The open length of the collection has accumulated trillions of records and is believed to be larger than any phone record database collected by the NSA under the Patriot Act, the Times reported. The database allows its analysts to detect hidden patterns and connections between call detail records and make highly accurate inferences about the associations and movements of people. Hemisphere is used to surveil. Its database is particularly useful for tracking a subscriber between multiple discarded phone numbers, as when drug, use, drug dealers use successive prepaid burner phones to evade conventional surveillance. Some hemisphere operations have regionally appropriate nicknames, Atlanta's Peach, while Hawaii has been called Sunshine. West Allis, Wisconsin City Council Minutes do not name the contract at all, referring to it only as services needed for an investigative tool by each of the HIDTA's investigative support centers from AT&T Government Solutions. In 2014, Cameron County, Texas Judge Carlos Casso ordered a line item in the commission minutes to be changed from Hemisphere Program to Database Analyst Services. Casco is now the Secretary of State of Texas. The Florida Attorney General's Medicaid Fraud Unit received Hemisphere Project training in 2013, according to a report on the unit's data mining activities. Florida is one of eight states that is allowed to spend federal money on anti-fraud data mining initiatives. Florida Medicaid fraud investigators use such technology to look for suspicious connections between call detail records, such as a provider and a beneficiary with the same phone number or address. A group of shareholders represented by Aruja Capital are concerned about the effect of negative press on stock value and filed a proposal in December 2015 
to require the company to issue a statement clarifying the company's policies regarding providing information to law enforcement and intelligence agencies domestically and internationally above and beyond what is legally required by court order or other legally mandated processes. AT&T contested the proposal and the matter is now before the Security and Exchanges Commission. Yay! Oh dear. So, a corporation... so go ahead and ask how fucked I am. Yeah. So gonna look for a new wireless carrier, are you? In this area, if you don't have AT&T for a wireless carrier, you get hit and miss at best. Or oh, yeah. That, that was one thing we noticed. We looked at um, we looked at houses in Enville. And everything over in the Enville, Tennessee area, they were like, um, well, you have AT&T, right? Because this was the only fucking way you were getting anything. And we're like, no, but we have Ryzen. And they're like, oh, that won't work. And we're like, no, we have a booster. And they're like, oh, what's a booster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have an AT&T landline. We have AT&T cell phones. Um, AT&T is the best internet you can get around here, which sucks. And since DirecTV got bought by AT&T, yeah, those motherfuckers own my home. Um. Uh. Can I suggest that you get Signal app for your cell phones? And so at least your text will be private. It's free. You can get okay. it from the app store. Um, the nice thing about Signal, and I keep telling people this, when you get Signal and you text someone who has Signal, there's no record of the text, so you don't get charged for it. It's pretty fucking cool. So that's nice. Right, you know, my, my comment yeah. on this. AT&T, a company with a long, long history of dodgy practices, was broken up for dodgy practices and monopolization of the market, and is still continuing <laughs> with its dodgy practices. And... If Barry is talking, I cannot hear him. Uh, he, he said AT&T is a company that was broken up for dodgy practices, and yet still continues its dodgy practices. True. Which is true. Yeah. It's very yes. true. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it was always a severely disliked company. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not often that a large company gets forced to break up by the government. Mm -hmm. uh, which shows you how bad it has to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, AT&D's done a lot of unethical stuff and it's done it for a very long time and yes they broke it up but breaking it up um doesn't mean that the corruption's gone away or that the infrastructure has changed nope. it just means they changed their name a little bit well um, and and now they're buying up loads of small companies again and are mm -hmm. heading back for monopolyville uh yeah but yeah, you, you notice, you notice, it's the one thing during the election that both your candidates agree on, that they should not be allowed to basically uh, take over Time Warner. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, it's just building AT&T back into this massive company that had to be broken up before mm -hmm. because it was causing issues. Well... Causing I'm issues. sorry, but didn't that, didn't it happen before it was AT&T though too? Uh, uh, Ma Bell. 
Yeah, Ma Bell. Um, yeah. yeah. Ma Bell was the, if you looked up Monopoly in the mm -hmm. dictionary, there was a picture of Ma Bell. Mm -hmm. There was nothing. And, but what they did, somebody was, um, made a statement the other day, they were talking on Facebook and they were, and they were referencing Frontier. And I mean, my husband worked for Frontier for 20 years, um, and doesn't any longer. So, I mean, I'm not sticking up for these people, um, because mm -hmm. they're my husband's old employer, but, um, a lot of people wanted to have shit fits over Frontier service. And like, we need other choices. And what they don't get is the reality of why they have frontier um and frontier and verizon just had a a paper shuffle and and i'm not going to call it a buyout we're going to call it a paper shuffle because frontier bought verizon's rural lines verizon didn't want them anymore the reason Frontier is the largest rural phone company in the United States is because nobody fucking wants your telephone. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, rural's they don't much harder to maintain. It, exactly. Yeah. They, they don't want phone lines that don't have 50 customers per mile. If it's got less than that, they can't be fucking bothered. Um, it might have something to do with union and having to pay somebody $36 an hour to drive a truck, blah, 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 blah. That's a whole other thing. Um, but... The reason Frontier has your service is because they are the only one willing to provide that service in that area. And and that's what people don't get. Everybody's like, oh. So part of some of the monopolies type things I can understand, sort of. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because the reason that they have all this shit is because nobody else fucking wants it. Um, because it's a pain in the ass and it doesn't make them much money. But clear back when it was Ma Bell, um, I can remember it took us like eight minutes to, for my mom to drive us from our house to the skating rink. And, and that's where we were Friday and Saturday nights. We, we were at the skating rink. And if... We needed, if one of us got sick or hurt or something like that, we called mom collect and she refused the charges and came and got us because yep. long distance was, was astronomical. I can remember my dad opening the phone bill up and looking at my mom and say, why don't you just drive to Olean and see your sister? Jesus H Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Skype has vastly improved, you know, communications at least for people who can't afford long distance um we have a, a landline but it's voyop um so we don't pay anything for it um and it's called an uma we got in on the bottom floor of that and we don't pay any taxes or anything because we bought as they were like the first technology out there that was going to do voyop um, and that's what our home phone is, just because it's so goddamn expensive to have internet here. I couldn't well, afford but, internet yeah. phones. Yes, but, yes. See, and here's here's the thing about the voice over IP, and and a lot of people just don't get it. Um, you have elderly people in your in your mm -hmm. household. Yep, um, yep. Are any of them frail? 
little bit, yeah. Well, and and this is the thing is people with kids um, and and people with um, need of emergency services, let's put it that way. The voiceover IP companies are not held to the same service standard by the federal government mm-hmm. as AT&T or as Verizon or as Frontier. They're, mm-hmm. they're a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the kicker to that whole deal is oh, oh. If, if your phone goes out, a landline company only has, by federal law, a certain amount of time to fix your shit. Mm-hmm. Voice over IP is under no such law. Well, I understand that, but I mean, you know, it's not like there's no cell, it's not like they don't have cell phones. Do you know what I mean? And when I say that, I'm not being sarcastic or dismissive. They have cell phones too, you know, even if oh, they're yeah. there, you know, oh, yeah. but the I mean, cell I'm phone talking like about cricket. In rural right, areas, right. you know, that right, was the right. big bitch with people in Shingle House was, well, I can go to Vonage, well, fucking go for it. But guess what? Your line goes down. You you can call Vonage bitch and they'll fix your shit when they feel like fixing your shit. And there's nothing you can do about it. So, I mean, there, there are inadequacies mm-hmm. in the way these services are governed. Um, they mm-hmm. either need to take off all the governors or put everybody under the same ones. And and they have yet to do that. Not that I'm asking the federal government to nip shit in another <laughs> fucking area of my life because I'm not. I'm just saying equal playing field. Yeah. But there there is no equal playing field when you can pay for what you want from government. And that is the problem. And that's what these companies are doing. They're paying their lobbyists to get whatever they want in. Now, and and we we know the reality of needing a lobbyist here, don't we? We as vapors know what that yeah. reality looks like. And that's absolutely disgusting. Because we really, if you have a government, why aren't we all the same? Now, because there's two standards. There's the standard for the rich and the powerful, and then there's the standard for you. And we know we need a lobbyist to get anything done. So (laughs) why we expect businesses to be held to a higher standard, it's just not going to happen. Not with the system we currently have. Have you, have you watched any of that program? Um, Oh shit. (laughs) Kevin no, I haven't seen no, 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 no. Kevin Spacey's in it. House of Cards. I don't have Netflix. I only have Amazon Prime. It's fucking disturbing. Really, really disturbing. I don't need to watch House of Cards. I watch C-SPAN too, lady. <laughs> I, I haven't. I, I've watched one episode of the new House of Cards. Uh, I'm not in love. I watched with Kevin the original. <laughs> Well, you've got it. Yeah, it came from over there, actually. Yes, it was written by a British politician, the original series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet that's worth seeing. Are there oh, yeah. episodes floating around anywhere? Um, Probably. I haven't looked, but I would assume so. It was uh, okay. made in the 80s. So, okay. So, yeah. So it won't be high high definition. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, but, I mean, worth seeing is still worth seeing. And... Matter. And... 
Yeah, competing main character performances. The guy who played Kevin Spacey's role in the British version. Much creepier. <laughs> much, much scarier. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not watching that so much as I'm watching on Prime. I'm watching Man in the High Castle, which I can't recommend enough. I cannot recommend that series enough. That That is a great series. Has anybody else watched it? No. It's it's very good. Yeah, I watched season one of Man yeah, in the High I, Castle. Yeah. Season two comes out December 16th. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah, they're advertising I, it all over the place. Yeah, I, it really looks good. It's an alternate history of the United States. Um, you would really like it if you like freedom. You would like this series. That's that's the only recommendation I can give people for it. Um, it's very different than the book. Um, the book was very hard read. Um, it's very easy to get absorbed into the visual world of Man in the High Castle. Whereas the book was a little harder to read. But of course everything that author writes is a little fucking hard to read ah uh, yeah um okay somebody pick a story hello how, how about and we're all saying you're ignoring you <laughs> how about latest computers easier to hack oh okay um <laughs> We do vote in this country tomorrow, you know. I know. That's that's why I fucking stuck this one here. I'm so excited to read it. How easy to hack voting machines endangered democracy. Um, I highly recommend if you can get your hands on a copy of the film Uncounted that you watch it. Um, since the Help America Vote Act, in 2002, tallying votes in our election has become dependent on machines that sometimes leave no paper trail. Manufacturers have proprietary programs that will not let any public officials or independent experts examine them. So the business drives the democracy. There's an allegory there. Yeah. On a cold winter day in 2007, Andrew Appel, a Princeton computer professor, an election specialist changed the outcome on one of the machines in seven minutes. He proved something that should alarm everyone. In effect, it took seven minutes per machine to steal an election. In testimony to a House of Representatives Technology Committee on September 28, 2016, which is now uh, suddenly paying attention because of the fear of Russian hacking, Appel noted, installing new software in a voting machine is not really much different from installing new software in any other kind of computer. Installing new software is how you hack a voting machine to cheat. In 2009, in the courtroom of the Superior Court of New Jersey, I demonstrated how to hack a voting machine. I wrote a vote-stealing computer program that shifts votes from one candidate to another. Installing that vote-stealing program in a voting machine takes seven minutes per machine with a screwdriver. Machines were initially adopted for vote counting over a century ago because they promised speed and convenience. They can tally results more quickly than a more uh, more quickly than a more reliable and recheckable hand count. 
From the beginning, there were ways to corrupt non-computerized machines, Appel said. One such ploy was the pencil shaving trick. Putting shavings on the lever of an opposition party would choke off counting ballots until the shavings came loose and fell free. While this left a telltale discrepancy between the counted results and the number of voters who signed in at the polling place to vote, the scam worked if no one checked. Latest computers easier to hack. You might think that the advent of computerized voting machines starting around 2002 would have made it much harder to corrupt voting, vote counting. In fact, even the latest generation of such machines are much easier to hack without leaving a trace. Diebold, these machines are big money makers for private corporations, which lobbied legislators about their supposed advantages. But they also pose a serious threat to the integrity of our elections. DRE, direct recording elections or touchscreen voting machines that leave no paper trail will be mainly used by voters in 14 states, according to the Brennan Center. Those states include Georgia and Pennsylvania, which are in play this year. Even large regions of Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, and many other states still use them. Among the brand names are Shooptronic, ABC Advantage, AccuVote, OS, Opitech, 3 Eagle. Most of these machines are over 10 years old, and the local authorities have no manuals for maintenance and repair. Wow. <laughs> Claiming a lot. <laughs> Claiming a How lack convenient. of yeah, I know. Claiming a lack of funds, state legislators have refused to replace them. In 14 states, either computer error or an APL-like reprogramming could distort results. Without a paper trail, the only way to check the tally is through initial exit polling conducted throughout the full span of voting hours and ending when the poll closed. Touchscreen machines were widely used in Ohio in the 2004 Kerry Bush election the only one of 154 American contests that year in which initial exit polling, which ordinarily reliable, was markedly out of sync with the official announced result. Those who know about computers have long been skeptical of this result. As Appel had demonstrated, it takes no super hacking skills to alter voting counts. I did this in a secure facility, and I'm confident my program has not leaked out to affect real elections. But really, the software I built was not rocket science. Any computer programmer could write the same code. Once it's installed, it could steal elections without detection for years to come. But if computer experts can hack every variety of touchscreen machine, what about foreign governments or domestic organizations? Other computer scientists have demonstrated similar hacks on many models of machines, Appel added. This is not just one glitch in one manufacturer's machine, it's the very nature of computers. In late July and early August, columns by Hiawatha Brary in Boston Globe and Zeynep Turkfi of the New York Times questioned for the first time whether voting in American elections is secure from hacking, with suspicion directed, though without evidence, primarily at Russia. Suddenly, the disorganization and lack of transparency of the American vote counting had become a national security issue. In late September, the U.S. House of Representatives Subcommittee on Information Technology held hearings on cybersecurity, ensuring the integrity of the ballot box. Weighing in on the issue that fuck, <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> Weighing in on the issue, the current president pointed out that most American elections are local or state done under diverse procedures and laws and involving a large number of voters. 
even if particular computers or a system of computers connected to the internet could be hacked from the outside, it would be hard for a foreign or domestic outlaw to falsify the results of a national election. Again, I'm going to urge you to watch that Abby Martin video that I linked. And yeah. On the surface, this is a heartening thought. But consider a close election like 2004. A targeted hack, say, altering one candidate's vote by an algorithm that kicks into precincts increase in size, might alter the outcome in certain key counties in a swing state. In addition, voter registration lists are centralized and kept on the internet. During the Arizona and New York primaries, many Democrats, often younger ones, reported that their registration was changed without their knowledge. They were listed as Republican or Independent or with no year of registration indicated. As a result, they couldn't vote in their party's primary. This turned out to have been done by election officials, air quotes, by accident, and perhaps also by hackers via internet access. Bones to pick with bipartisan watchdogs. Now elections are watched over by bipartisan committees in which Appel has done some, has some confidence. At least he points out such supervision does not depend on a single powerful party or leader. When we elect our government officials, sometimes we are voting for or against the very person or political party who is in office right now running that very election. How can we trust that this person is running the election fairly? The answer is we organize our elections. So we don't have to trust any single person or party. That is why when you go to the polls in most places, there are typically two poll workers there, often by law, from different political parties, and there are poll watchers representing the parties to make sure everything is done right. That's why recounts are done in the presence of witnesses from both parties. We run our elections transparently so the parties can watch each other, and the result is that even the losing candidate can trust that the election was run fairly. But there are two problems here. So-called bipartisanship means that third parties, such as the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, are by definition excluded. In addition, many aspects of the process end up in the hands of a single individual. Chief Clerk of Elections Diane Haslett Rodaldo arbitrarily stripped 123,000 people from the Brooklyn voter rolls this year's, in this year's New York Democratic primary. She was later fired by the Board of Elections after the election was over systemic weak points. But Appel is even more worried about systemic weak points in the electoral process. Voting machines are often delivered to polling places several days before the election, to elementary schools, churches, firehouses. In these locations, anyone can gain access to a voting machine for 10 minutes. Between elections, the machines are routinely opened up for maintenance by county employees or private contractors. Let's assume they have the utmost integrity but still, in the U.S., we try to run our elections so we can still trust the election results without relying on any one individual. The necessary of recountable paper ballot. The only sure way to run a fair election, Appel says, is to use and keep paper ballots. In 2009, Germany adopted a system in which an initial exit poll is announced immediately after voting closes. This determines a range of plausible results within a margin of error, and then paper ballots are counted by hand. They have since that time had no major controversies about electoral fairness. Pell testified that newer optical screen voting machines can be equally secure if paper ballots are kept unchecked. Premier optical scan with Automark is used in parts of California and Colorado since 2008 under Secretary of State Jennifer Bruner in parts of Ohio. 
Uh, often these involve entering your vote, leaving a record, which you can see on the machine, on a paper tape of how your ballot was cast. There are two striking problems with even these somewhat better machines. First, in 2014, the EPA discovered that Volkswagens had an internal computer program, which had long passed U.S. emissions tests, but polluted 40 times more on the road. The cars were able to recognize when they were being tested and had to keep the emission control switched on, and when they were on the road, include a will without fear of being caught. As Barbara Simone's a verified voting aptly put it, we do not want VW-style elections. Paul's mantra is, any computer can be hacked. Separating paper ballots physically from a computerized tape and keeping them in different locations, many computer experts believe would provide further insurance against hacking, even on optical scan machines. Second, challenging the results, particularly in a presidential election and even starting from an automatic recount, as Al Gore did in Florida in 2000, is very difficult and would take a long time to recount the votes, even if the party in power were not trying to sabotage it. So the most important thing, as, as in Germany, is to get each election right in the first place. Why, we ask, have officials sold public elections and the equal right to vote, again, the most important public feature of our democracy, to private profit-making corporations? Once again, these corporations claiming their programs are proprietary secrets do not allow any independent checks on how they operate. A few states like New Mexico have adopted, Appel said, a model procedure for closed controversial elections. Immediately conduct a random recount of parts of the paper ballot. If there's any error, do a full recount. Do not certify an election until both are done. Appel and nine other experts, including Lawrence Norton from Democracy Program of the Brennan Center at the New York University School of Law, and John McCarthy of the Verified Voting Foundation, offered 10 suggestions for securing existing machines and registration lists. For instance, they underline that without voter-verified paper ballots, effective audits are impossible. They recommend checking samples from the voting system with hand counts or match sets of paper ballots, recruiting technical experts to help with such tests, and public publicizing the results before the certification of election. They also recommend a new detailed ballot counting by each polling center and recollection with number of those who signed in to vote there. Still, to put these procedures into practice would probably require sustained pressure from the voting public. Moreover, anyone familiar with vote counting precincts across the country knows that many computer checking and security measures these experts recommend are far too sophisticated for most poll watchers to implement before November 8th. Further, all secretaries of state are often unabashed political partisans would have good intentions, an assumption hard to reconcile with the actions of Kenneth Blackwell in October 2004 or Catherine Harris in Florida in 2000. In contrast, consider the record of, oh, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> a federal law requiring oversights of elections by politically independent or neutral state officials would vastly improve the security of the American electoral process. But Appel is not optimistic about the prospect of congressionally mandated reforms. For the upcoming election, some of the recommended measures will be in place in some jurisdictions across the country. After the election, however, with strong Democratic push from below, it might be possible to outlaw the highly insecure direct DRE touchscreen machines, provide adequate funding as well as training for election officials nationwide, and secure an independent paper trail on optical scan machines. In fact, it might even be possible to go to a paper ballot backed up by an initial exit poll. In contrast to this November 8th, when at best, only the large scale of the election makes 
likely a trustworthy result. Such reforms would ensure that our elections are both in appearance and reality fair. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It just means, you know, it, it gives all of this stuff being out there in public just gives the American people fuel for all of our conspiracy theories. And, and everybody's got them. I don't care how fucking straight-laced you think you are. You have got some kind of conspiracy theory about something. And unfortunately, there is probably more than a grain of truth in most of them. Okay. Well, you know, um, I read the WikiLeaks emails. I went and went so far as to download the ones that I thought were strange and went so far as to verify them with the stuff that was put out by WikiLeaks insofar as I could. Um, I don't think this matters at all. I think when you had a sitting president tell you that presidents are selected, not elected, he was telling you something. I think when you had a sitting president tell you to be wary of the military industrial complex where they would take over the government, you had a president who was telling you something. It's just a shame we don't fucking listen. We forget our own history. We don't realize what we're being told. And I think this shit means fuck all. I'm sorry. I really do. And yeah, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I've seen how votes can be flipped. Oh, you, you realize that's not what I meant, right? Oh, I know you were talking about the, the Drumpf people and the Shillery people. What they're going to be like the day after the election. I assume that's what you're talking about. That yes, ma'am. The election was robbed from them, that it was stolen. All I can tell you is that this, what we put on a piece of paper, is a fucking show. I've really come to believe that. See, we've, we've talked about the voting machines before. No argument. Um, and yeah, yeah, the best we can manage in the UK is paper. pencil scandals. <gasps> oh my God, to get you to vote and you have to use a pencil, you'd be rubbing it out and... Yeah. Uh -huh. You have paper ballots. <laughs> yes. And you also have everybody under God's green earth watching. Oh yeah. I mean God. I mean one are we have a unified electoral commission that is independent from the government and any of the political parties. But each political party can send representatives to watch votes in progress and the counts. Um, international observers are welcome also, if they're accredited. Um, and, yeah, the, they go on about the speed. Oh, they want the, they want the result as quick as possible. Um, in the UK, it's all, all accounting's done by teams of volunteers. The volunteers are screened to make sure they're not nuts. Uh, <laughs> or terrorists <laughs> or people you really don't want doing anything anywhere near your election. But it doesn't hugely matter because they're all being watched all the time anyway. Um, and they actually, they do dry runs. They practice, I believe this, this is insane, but they do dry runs. They practice Hello? counting to see how fast they can get results. Okay. Go ahead. So, I'm sorry, yeah. Barry, I lost you for a second. Go ahead. Yeah, they, they, they do dry runs. They practice counting, basically. 
And some of the some of the areas in the UK, the polls close and you get the result two hours later. That's how quick they count these physical ballots. <laughs> it's like uh, so the lazy places take a day, uh, but most places think, it's within hours. But I think I would rather have them take a day or two hours. I think I would yeah. rather have a German-style election. If this is what we're reduced to, to picking our leaders, then by God, let it be fucking accurate. Let it yeah. actually represent the will of the majority. If, if it's majority fucking rule, not some fucking sociopath banker deciding how this country is going to run, then let it be majority rule and let us see proof. Because otherwise, people like me who think this doesn't matter, that number of people is going to grow and grow and grow and grow as more people get more educated about how many ways there are to steal an election. And, and how about we flush the electoral college, too? Yeah. You think popular vote is the way to go? Yeah. Yeah, but I'd go for... Um, don't, don't go for first past the post. That's what you've got in the UK. And yeah, it's got major flaws. You need... Um, proportional representation of some sort mm. um, so that every party will always have a say in the government which you know, doesn't happen you which have doesn't happen party. we have it in this for the Scottish Parliament but not for the UK Parliament um, yeah. and it's kind of proportional for the EU Parliament as well um, uh, what was mm. the other thing I was going to say uh, <laughs> yeah our election fraud for general elections, not Scottish elections, much more subtle. They have to play, like, the long game. Because, right, there's something ongoing in the UK at the minute, and it happens all the time. They base the voting regions by population, number of voters in each area, and they try to make them as even as possible. So that, mm -hmm. you know, each person's vote is basically worth the same. Um, we don't have that here yeah but what happens is political parties play little games they get people in to these committees that decide on the boundaries for the regions and get them to you know try and subtly maneuver the areas around so that say the conservatives want more votes in that particular area they will make sure some of the more affluent areas gets you know squeezed in. So yeah, take out those poor people, add in those rich people. Right. You know well, when numbers we, have to be taken down. It's it's what we do it's, here. It's called gerrymandering. Yep, and that's a big <laughs> thing in the UK. That but yep. it's it's always been like that here. It's <laughs> it, there's just a round there's a round of it upcoming at the minute. Um, and yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. If the boundary changes as proposed at the minute in England go ahead, uh, for instance, Labour are project probably looking at losing several seats and the Conservatives will gain them. Um, yeah, when the when Labour have more of a influence, the opposite happens. But yeah. You know, I, th I think we're actually at a point now or if we could get something unhackable on cell phones, we could get rid of Congress. We could get rid of every ruling authority and you could have mob rule without any interference from people. 
Well, I'm the, not the, saying that's better. I'm not saying that's worse. As far I'm as I'm aware, the only the only country that ever Sweden, really Sweden's got mobile, yeah, the old Viking kings, yeah, they voted for their kings. They're called kings, but they're basically same as a president or whatever. But then if you did badly, uh, yeah, the mob showed up and killed you. And then they you voted know, for a new king. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's a bad system, all things considered. <laughs> Wait, what say you guys? <laughs> Today, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Exactly. It so, kind of makes, I mean, if you put your name forward, you've got to be damn sure you want the job. Yeah. And you exactly. have to be damn sure you're going to do a good job. Because, yeah, many guys lost their heads. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And in fact, you know, depending on how bad you did, there's that whole Blood Eagle thing, which is even worse. Uh, I, I won't talk about it on air. Go look it up. <laughs> Scandinavians. Yeah, don't piss them off. <laughs> it's my ancestors, okay. I know. Uh, uh, some of my ancestors are Scandinavian, some of them are Native American, and some of them are Irish, so I have this really fucked up... Oh, th this will interest you, that's one of the reasons, another of the connections, why they they know that Vikings were in the Americas quite a lot, is the fact that some of the Native American tribes do a version of the Blood Eagle. <laughs> well, they do, and what's funny to me is if you actually look at some of the Native American tribes, how many of them have red hair? Um, yeah, blue eyes. That was the other happen. one. That, yeah, yeah, that shouldn't fucking happen, and it happened a lot. Um, and some, some of the Indian the tribes are slightly taller than the rest of the natives usually were. Uh, and by the way, you guys, you guys brought up Indians. <laughs> oh, you want to talk about Standing Rock? Yeah, I really Please. do. Go. Go, 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 go. Here's what I don't understand, okay? Now, had had this been something that, that, that Black Lives Matter felt needed detention it would be all over the media 24 7 yeah. every fucking George day and, and look Soros. i'm not and yeah and don't anybody don't send me fucking hate mail telling me that that i'm a racist because i'm not my my point here is this why the fuck when it is native americans is it all swept under the rug and fucking everybody is okay with it yep george soros George Soros yep. puts forth the funding for Black Lives Matter. Um, what what is the the American Soros does lots of evil the, shit. Democracy Initiative or the One World in it. He, he does a lot of of shady shit, and I mean it's out in the open. It, it's out in the open. They hacked Soros. His stuff is out there. I've read it. You want to read some sickening stuff, you, you might want to go look at the Soros hacks. I assume nobody wants to know the things I know. That's why I only talk about a very limited number of things I've personally investigated and know to be true. Um, I can't prove that anything that came from the American Democracy Initiative or, or any of the other Soros areas i can't prove that those emails are his because unlike the wikileaks hacks um of the podesta emails i can't trace those back any further where i can 
with the emails that concern me with Podesta and Hitlery. Um, there's there's a certain I don't want to say cabal. Cabal sounds so sinister, and I, I don't think that's what this is. There's a certain group of people that have more money than God and don't have the sense that God gave an otter who think they know best how you need to live. And they're going to play every dirty trick, manipulate the media in any way they see fit to try to get you to see things their way. And if not, they're still going to steamroll over the process and do what they like anyway. That's what you see with a lot of the Soros stuff. Um, a lot of the things he's involved with are downright creepy. Um, you're being yeah, you're, kind. I'm you're, not you're, to you're talking about those Montgomery Burns type people, aren't you? Yeah. I am. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the Rothschilds and the Soroses. I'm t actually... I'm talking about the fucking bankers. The one thing that I got from the Podesta emails is that the bankers decide who the president is. They decide who the president is months out. They tell him who the cabinet members will be. And they negotiate the handoff between one White House to another White House. Um, and if it goes as smooth as it did with Barack Obama which it really did, um, you have to question why it goes that smoothly. If you look into the Podesta emails, you will find out why it went that smoothly. When I say the bankers do this, I say this because I believe the WikiLeaks emails that I saw dated a month to two months before the election ever took place, the first election of sitting President Barack Obama. I believe those to be true. I believe that our democracy is a joke. <laughs> I believe that these people will do anything to keep their power. Um, I think it's kind of like Frank Zappa said. Um, the illusion of freedom will continue until the point where it becomes unprofitable, at which point the curtain will be lifted from the back of the theater and everyone will be able to see the wall behind them. Yep. I think that is the point that we're getting to in this country. And I, I don't mean to be cruel to people. I know people want to believe that they have an ability to change things. I've come to believe that that no longer exists. Um, I believe change is coming um, because I know my history. Because I know my hit. Well, we're going to have to all take a bite of a shit sandwich. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's how it goes. Um, yeah. It Every year that we don't address this, the bite gets bigger and bigger. That's just kind of how it goes. But I do believe one thing. Uh, I know this from the history of the United Kingdom. You cannot keep freedom down forever. And when you try, the people who tried to keep it down the most will lose their heads to the people who've tried to keep it from the people who want it the most. When you take away everything from people and they have nothing to lose, they literally have nothing to fear. Exactly. And pitchforks can cause enemy. a lot of damage. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
won't talk about ultrasonic adware because that's something I think I promised I would talk about. Sneaky ultrasonic adware makes homes vulnerable to ultrasonic hacking. There's a shocker. Earlier this year, companies like Silverpush were outed for sneaking ultrasonic communications channels into people's devices so that advertisers could covertly link different devices to a single user in order to build a deeper, more complete surveillance profile of them. In an upcoming Black Hat London presentation, UCL security researcher Vasellos Mavardos and colleagues will describe how these ultrasonic channels, which are being incorporated as network channels in an increasing cloud of Internet of Things devices, can be exploited by hackers to spread malicious software throughout homes. They'll demo an attack where an attacker equipped with a simple beacon emitting device, e.g. a smartphone, can walk into a Starbucks at peak hour, launch a profile corruption attack against all customers currently taking a advantage of a UD, UXDT enabled apps. Before ultrasound goes mainstream, Mavarda says that it's time to work out how to regulate and keep it from being hijacked for malicious purposes. Ultrasound vegans don't have specs yet, he said. There are no rules about how to build or connect ultrasound beacons. This is kind of a gray area where no one wants to take responsibility. He and his co-authors are agitating for standards similar to those that exist for Bluetooth. But that will take a while, so they have developed countermeasures you can use in the meantime. The first is an ultrasound filtering browser extension for Google Chrome that blocks any website embedded beacons from sounding. The second is a patch for Android devices that means users have to opt in to pick up ultrasound beacons and audible sound separately when they give an app permission to use their microphone. It's going to get worse unless we fix it, says Mavardos. And that was that. That was a short one and a sweet one, and since we have 20 minutes left, and I really think people don't want to hear me fucking rant about how screwed we are anymore, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, uh, anybody have anything? Uh, Jeannie talked a little bit about Standing Rock and the water protesters. Um, well, that was... and part of my thing with Standing Rock, though, is, Jan, mm -hmm. is that... <laughs> fucking media bites i swear to god there are so many people out there that think that the indians are protesting because this pipeline is crossing their land no they're not they're not people they're not but while that in and of itself is a falsehood the reasons for it and the reasons they're doing it are very sound and very just. Um, they are. It is going through sacred sites. It is. Um, everybody admits that this is going to go through sacred sites. And everybody wants to say, well, but it's not their land, so what do they care? Well, number one, it was their land, and the fucking federal government took it. And when the fucking federal government took it, they promised to protect these sacred sites. Um, dun, 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 they're not. They are also, the Indians are concerned about their water supply being polluted. We have seen in the media, 
in the past six months. Example after example after example of why they're afraid of this fucking disaster. Because it'll happen. They know it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. Everybody knows it's going to happen. Trying to subvert the whole thing by saying, well, but it's not even their land, is just absolute ignorance. Bullshit. Um, can I just say that if, if you want decent coverage, if, if you're interested in this, because I'll, I'll watch news from any source. Watch it, read it, um, and try to absorb it and find the truth in it. Um, democracy now has some really standing rock. Um, you get bits from the BBC, Reuters, uh, yeah. oh, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. You get live feeds from protesters' phones, yeah. which is yeah. interesting. Um, Red Warrior Camp on Facebook has some really interesting stuff. You might want to follow them. Uh, it, the thing that kills me about Standing Rock. Um, that pipeline was rerouted over those sites after white people said, no, we don't fucking want this coming through our land. I don't think people know that. They said it will contaminate our water and they put up a fight and they were listened to. They didn't have a tack dog set on them. They didn't have protesters maced. They were listened to. There is a majority, there is a, not so much a white majority in this country, but whites are definitely treated different than people who have browner skin or blacker skin. Uh, there's no denying that. There is none. Flint, Michigan, Standing Rock, every place there's been a water crisis. Every time you read about lead in the water or in the soil, never read about it in areas where there's white people. And if you do, it's a shock because that's not supposed to happen. Uh, I would recommend if anybody's interested, you might want to look up on uh, YouTube videos about something called federal sacrifice zones. I think you'll find some interesting things in there about areas of this country where pollution is allowed to happen and the things that happen to the people living there because they don't have the money or the wherewithal to fight it. And not all of them are people of color. It's some interesting stuff. So, yeah. Not sure what to say about that. But I do agree the lamestream media should be covering that instead of yakking about Hillary's emails, this Donald Trump's horrible Twitter attack. It doesn't matter. Does anybody else have anything? No. No. Uh, I would wish you all luck for tomorrow, but <laughs> we're all doomed. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe the best thing about this is that people can't walk around with their eyes closed anymore. That might be the best thing about yeah, un unfortunately, they're walking about with their eyes open, but with enormous goddamn blinkers on. Yeah. Well, I don't I know. just want to watch TV, man. Yeah. America's <laughs> got talents on. Kim Kardashian's I... put another naked picture online. <laughs> you, know, you know, all that stuff. All I can say is this. 
since I stopped watching um, regular TV, I feel a lot smarter. I feel like I'm not um, wasting my brain. Not that it's made me any happier, but I really feel like I'm a lot more aware of what's going on around me. So I guess music and ad, because I don't, I don't think anybody's going to stick around for much more of this happiness. <laughs> okay. I don't think we can take much more happiness. I know. I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> You've got all all of all the conspiracy election stuff to look forward to for next week's show. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Next week it's all privacy, security, and technology. No more of this giant douche turd sandwich. Meteor, come kill us now! No more. No okay, Muppets um, and Oddworld. Thank you. I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, next week, it'll be a, a normal Paranoid About Security show, I promise. Have a good night. Um, Godspeed and good luck tomorrow. See you next week.